Hey, and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by the usual cast of characters. First, he's the platforming prodigy. He's a man I saw for the first time in person in about two years last week. It's Mark Robinson. I'm How are you, my buddy? Still, uh, I'm still just sitting here feeling good about that, feeling giddy about yeah. that. You know, that was a good, good time. time. Yeah. Or good maybe time. it was just a sushi. Who knows? Japanese food, pints. It's good. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I love a good bento box. Love mm. a good bento box. You were you were notably impressed with the like the dry ice effect on your your starter. Honestly, uh, like it doesn't take that much to kind of bring the presentation to that you know that next yeah. level. You know, if if I went to uh, if I went to a cafe to get an Irish breakfast, you know, all they got to do is bring out a little bit of dry ice with it, and you know, I'll give them an extra five as, yeah. as a tip. Yeah. I kind of feel bad that we didn't go the whole hog and get the, like, the, I was telling you, the, the huge sushi boat that's just, like, it looks like this kind of wooden ship with, like, all the dry ice effect under each lat of it. It's, it's Maybe pretty next absurd. Time. Maybe next yeah. time. Yeah. Although, I tell you, like, it would have been, like, peak notions for us to get that for, like, a Sunday lunch type of time. <laughs> I was like, that's not what you get, like, early Sunday afternoon to eat. Um Joining us as well, returning from the sound card abyss, it's my man, the Sidona simp, England's brave Jack Lazell. How are you, my friend? Yes, mate. I'm good. You can hear me, which is a bonus. Um, I yeah, uh, I had a bit of a, an issue, should we say? A <laughs> yeah. Bought a new sound card, thinking it was going to be all that, and it worked for approximately thirty seconds after I plugged it in every time, and then just immediately decided to go into a, a pit of oblivion. Um, mm. But I have returned, and I have nailed my flag to the mast of the company SSL Solid State Logic. They are my new heroes. They are my new sound card makers. <laughs> are you are you an SSL sponsored athlete? I am now an SSL sponsored athlete. Yeah, and they're from Oxfordshire. You know how it's good old good old British company, Dave. You know yeah. how you know how us Boo. Brits are absolute gits for our own shit. So uh, yeah. yeah, well, it's because you can't get anything shipped in anymore. Oh, exactly. Yeah, absolute nightmare. Except the Retroid Pocket, may I add? Yeah. Which oh, did you get? Did you order it? I ordered it. <laughs> oh, let's let's do you know what? Let's put it. Let's put a pause in that for a second, and we get to 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 game stuff. I know. was coming here to do a fucking sales pitch to Dave specifically because we were talking about this last Sunday, and between now and then, I've got two people who've now fucking purchased one. We're gonna get yeah. Niner. I'm telling you right oh, now, we're gonna we'll get, get Niner. We know you're listening, Niner. <laughs> Just like put that ninety nine dollars aside because it's happening. Um, but yeah. Good to see you, friend. Uh, actually, do you know what? As an aside with you, before we move on to Garrett, let's just pull you aside for a br- very brief uh, Away Goals podcast. I haven't had a chance to talk to you and see your face when I say the word John Terry NFTs yet. <laughs> yeah, can we just move on, please? <laughs> Both, like, hopping on the bandwagon and then apparently, you know, imminently getting sued by his former club. I think we've all established who John Terry is <laughs> at this we point. Certainly have. We now, certainly have. Now we no longer have like a stellar football career for, for to be confused with. <laughs> it feels like so long ago, doesn't it? It does. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, do you know what's really annoying is so this week Gary, no, I'm, I'm, this I'm promised this will be it, and then no more to wear for. Gary Neville did a podcasting with Declan Rice, and Declan Rice said John Terry's my hero. You know, he used to make time for all the kids at, um, at training and take them I'll tell you what, Ireland fans, if we had known that, we would have known not to get our <laughs> hopes up about him. <laughs> but he said at 14, when when Chelsea released him, 
he actually got a phone call to his house from John Terry and he's like, look, you've definitely got what it takes. This is just a setback, you know. And he said he helped him out and he ended up getting getting on at West Ham and stuff. And I'm like, that's such a good move. It's so annoying that you are not the person that you pretend to be like half the time. You know, there's like this conflict of like this person that's clearly a decent leader and a genuine human being and then the other side there's just an absolute bell end and it's just oh it's so frustrating because <laughs> you know there's yeah. good qualities in there you just can't oh yeah anyway. and Declan Royce did mention as like oh and when he was over at my like over at my house he uh, he gave me just a bunch of unsolicited opinions on groups of people and it was really weird and uncomfortable <laughs> Yeah, I guess just, yeah, it's just a, an absolute, yeah. I, I, it's tough to deal with because, uh, anyway, it's eternal struggles with him. Rounding out the panel, of course, I'm going to try this nickname on for size. He is the nexus of humanity. It's Garrett Kidney. Garrett, how are you? <laughs> the nexus of humanity. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a brief uh, TNA thing? I, I the, feel like, like this is a thing that campaign. was in the intro. Yeah. Yeah, like... I just remember Brian and Vinny ripping them off. Yeah. It does feel like something Deep Voice Guy would say yeah. on yeah. one of the, the videos. Barry Scott I, is his actual I, name. Yeah, he I believe it was. Barry Scott, not of Silith Bang fame. I was about to jump in and say that. To be fair, it's everything, again, as an Englishman, it's everything I've had to do to stop, to not call him Gaza at some point. With the name Garrett, I just hold myself back and never call him Gaza That's that, I would that. hunt you down I would literally <laughs> yeah. travel over to your house <laughs> just stare in the window I wouldn't do anything I'd just look in the window you'd just be you. like the like the sickos guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> alright pipe down Gaza yeah. uh, how has your week been buddy I was I was rocked to my very core today oh so we, I was talking in a, a work group chat and someone shared unsolicited that when typing they press the caps locks button when they want to do a capital letter and then press it again rather than holding the shift key. Yep. I saw you put this on Twitter. I was immediately furious and I hope you were too. And like there, there's five of us in that group chat and another person was like, oh, I do that too. And I was like, is this just a normal thing people I, do? I feel like this is going to come as no surprise when I tell you I'm a person that uses the caps lock. Oh my God. <laughs> No, not you, because, Mark. Because I am just a constant level of chaos, and I need to yeah. tap that caps twice. And sometimes, sometimes I forget to press the caps, and I'm looking down at the screen, typing away, and I look up, and that sentence is all in higher case letters. You got a solution to that? Just use shift like a normal person. No, nah, I only use I need shift to crouch. Oh. I, 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 the organization I work for has uh, such a low level of IT across the staff that I'm not you even sure a lot of them. I'm not sure a lot of them know how to turn the caps lock off. Um, oh, no. I yeah. just love the idea of Dave typing away with no shift key every time. There are a number. So, like, I am because, like, they from my CV know I did economics in college they know that like I know my way around a spreadsheet um, so like I'm I've been building the databases for like doing all our reporting on it and you would not believe the amount of people who are considerably older than me who before this process which only started last year had never so much as opened Excel before <laughs> They're just like, yeah, what's that green flashy thing that shows up at the bottom of the screen every now and then? Yeah, to me, I'm just like, he- most jobs surely have like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Are they looking at the shift key and thinking, if I press it, why is it not just printing out the word shift on the document? 
I'm guessing that most of the time when they have tech issues, it's like the scene in Zoolander where they're trying to get the file out of the computer. <laughs> and they're just standing on the desk, like smacking it and throwing it around and breaking it open. Um, yeah, that's the that's the level I've I've become accustomed to. Yeah, I I always, it, it, I would actually bash my head against something because Excel is such a fundamental part of my my job role and everything I I do on a daily basis. I, we, I, I'm in I'm in more spreadsheets than than you can imagine. Without divulging too much, obviously, Garrett, would yours be a profession where you would expect a higher standard of of tech knowledge that they should know about the shift key? Um. Yes. <laughs> like, these these are all relatively young people. They're all in like their twenties and thirties. Oh dear. They they know about the shift key. This Dave, it's it's not like a, a lack of awareness. This is a it's a conscious choice. <laughs> oh dear. This is they a just, decision they have made. <laughs> they just elect not to use it. They're like, I prefer to hit the cap locks button, type the letter I want a capital letter for, and then hit the caps lock button again. But then you end up I'm in the classic situation now. like the classic situation like we all have uh, before we uh, became inured to the shift key where you aren't looking at the screen and you hit the caps lock at the wrong time and you end up with the one letter you wanted capitalised is now lowercase and all yeah. the rest of the word is uppercase. But but like that happens to me constantly but I'm so ingrained like my muscle memory in, in terms of how I write now that the idea for me to use the shift to do my uppercase letter like that would have to completely I'd have to completely rewire my brain to do that and I'm in my mid-30s now that's just not going to happen I'd take it's it just off, one I'd, key down it's, just, take it off it's just slightly lower I'd completely take it off keyboards I'd have it electric shock anyone that tried <laughs> to press that key I think the whole world just needs to accept that shift is the superior thing and that if you want to do uppercase hold down shift and then if you're typing everything that you want in uppercase, because it, it would encourage people not to shout at each other in text as well, you know, there's no need to put all of this in all caps all the time. If you have to hold it down to do that, it's, it doesn't seem worth it. You know. and I, I did a Twitter poll on this, which has 269 votes now. Nice. Nice. Um, nice. 83.3% say shift and 16.7% say caps lock. That's not an insubstantial number of people. Monsters. Nah. Including you, Mark. That's the Robinson electorate. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. Clearly. Clearly, with the, the typing manner of a madman. Oh, dear. Right. Who would have thought this is the issue that would end the podcast? <laughs> yeah, look, if, somebody, if, someone wants to, if someone wants to tweet me at Jack Lazell and give me a decent reason that they use caps lock, you know, like, I don't know, my mum was saved by a caps lock once. Like, I, I'm fine with that, you know. Caps my lock. entire family was killed by a caps lock. <laughs> my entire family was killed by the shift key. So yeah. when, when we get to the end of year uh, award shows and stuff, we'll do like a best key on the keyboard category. I thought oh. you were going to say we were including you in the uh, Konami corner slash uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I just put in the uh, shift key in there as a whole. The nominees for best key... And in, in the nominees for best key, I'll absolutely put, uh, and Garrett will know exactly why when I say it, Alt Gur is definitely going in there. Oh, is so that to do with Yuri? It's to do with uh, putting an, uh, an accent over Irish names, to put a fada over uh, them. Uh, you hit right, that yeah. and the vowel, and it does it. It's a frequently so used my, key over here. <laughs> my, my best key would be Tim Key. Yeah, that is a good key, to be fair. That's a pretty good key. Yeah. 
Um, gentlemen, it's a big week on the uh, on the heat for things we've seen. Um, who am I going to go to first? I'm actually most intrigued to hear what Jack has been watching because this is a show that, like, I heard it was coming out and I was like, one, that's a weird thing to do an entire show on, and two, sorry, it's coming to Disney+. Plus. Yep. Three, it stars Lily James, who usually stars in, like, you know, costume dramas and light-hearted uh, family sort of romancy entertainment type things and then all of a sudden there she is as Pamela Anderson as well. Can I say by the way like um a heroic job by the makeup department because yeah. like I've seen like the promotional stills for the show and like not like she looks one to one that you'd confuse her completely for Pam Anderson but like like very similar. You wouldn't confuse her for like, Lily James CG. though would you? You look at that no. and she's unidentifiable. Yeah. Um but yes, Pam and Tommy is fucking crackers. It is mental. They have made some decisions on this show that just... I, I'm watching it completely agog. And like you say, Dave, the fact that this is released to Disney Plus as well just makes it like all the more insane that this thing does exists. Does it do like, the Disney Plus thing at the start? <laughs> um, it does the star thing at the start, because you know that's ah, like okay. their subset of their sort of yeah. edgier edgier brand but um yeah so i mean i'm pretty sure most people would be aware of it but anyone that's kind of too young um tommy lee is the drummer for motley crew who were massive in the 80s in the 90s he was pretty much just hanging around doing lots of cokes and being an un unimaginably large douchebag um, and just an absolute prick at every possible opportunity Pamela Anderson was the biggest star on television in Baywatch um, the two of them met at a nightclub and got married after like four or five days and a trip to Cancun and of course you know true love reigned except that it didn't, they broke up after three years and Tommy Lee was pretty heavily accused of domestic violence uh, among all the other horrible shitty things that he's done in his life including having a Nazi tattoo which is just he's just a lovely person luckily Sebastian Stan portraying him in the show portrays him as an absolute wanker my, one of my main worries going into this was I was like if they glorify this Tommy Lee character you know if they make him seem like a sort of you know rock and roll kind of cool guy that picks up Pamela Anderson like you know the sort of hot chick who's you know you know the it girl at that time I would have switched it off immediately but they don't right from moment one so um like Seth Rogen plays uh, a guy who is working in carpentry but his previous career was in pornography because he was a handyman in like a building and he met up with a woman and she just so happened to work in porn and he just so happened to be hanging around the sets of porn movies and uh, met the porn director who is brilliantly played by Nick Offerman, by the way, uh, one of the gems in the sort of Hollywood, California area. And uh, any project that involves him, I immediately get a smile on my face and he he's hilarious in it as well. Um, so... Aside from rocking a heroic mo mohawk, I'm um, sorry, mullet rather, and uh, Zubaz pants, there's a I, lot of I Zubaz pants action in this. I, I must say, I saw his tweet of his uh, his favorite fits from yeah. the, the show, and like that was probably selling point number one for me. They didn't, yeah, he didn't put the Zubaz pants in there. Though I was like, well, I mean, that was top by a long way. Uh, like he, it, there was a point where he was wearing like a wife beater and Zubaz pants, which is outrageously great. Um, 
So he's working and redeveloping Tommy Lee's house. Tommy Lee fires him, is a massive dick. He wants to get revenge, so he steals a safe out of his house. And uh, in the safe, you know, he goes for all the cash and, you know, spends loads of cash and sells off all his jewels and takes it. And the last thing he looks at is like a weird tape. He's like, what the hell is this? He takes it to his old porn mate and the porn mate plays it. They realize what it is. They set it up on the internet. They start selling the tape, right? So it's the first real kind of celebrity sex tape scandal that was widely distributed over the internet. And the story of it is pretty kind of close to what they what they what what happened in reality. You know, they've probably taken a few artistic liberties and in terms of the motivations behind it all. But it's just done like so. The second episode is. Pamela and Tommy meeting for the first time and then them going to Cancun and then them getting married and there is do, do any of you care about spoilers for the show I mean everyone kind of knows what happens but like in terms of the details is anyone fussed about it I can't say no. that I am no okay so there is a a scene in the second episode can where, I just say do, does this involve uh shall we say an intimate conversation with one character oh well sort of um, so it, it involves Tommy Lee after a night of hard ecstasy and, and sex with Pamela Anderson uh, talking to his own penis. Yep, that's exactly what I was referring to. A, a massive, dangly, prosthetic penis that had been grafted onto Sebastian Sand. Unless that is Sebastian Sand's dick, in which case, fair play, buddy. Rocking some serious wood there between the old legs. And yeah, he's, he's talking to it. And the penis is sort of like bending... And the only thing that doesn't happen is, like, the open of the penis doesn't start talking like a mouth, but it's sort of, <laughs> you know, reacting and moving all around. And I'm thinking, like, somebody spent quite a lot of time CGIing this penis's reactions um, to, 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 to have any kind of conversation with... And this with is Tommy on Disney. Lee. And this is on Disney+. Plus. And, and it was at that point where I was like, I don't actually care what happens in the rest of the show after this. I am fucking in. This thing is berserk. Um... I get the feeling. So the show opens with Jay Leno sort of grilling Pamela Anderson about the sex tape and her clearly not wanting to talk about it. And within the first couple of episodes, you're seeing a side of Pamela Anderson where, you know, she loves classic movies. She's into sort of like romantic stuff. She's not really, you know, she doesn't want to be this sort of like bombshell sort of like sex icon. She'd much rather just be an actress and you know have a nice career and you know do things that make her happy and i just get the feeling that obviously towards the end it's going to get real sad and real depressing um for her and the situation because really the reason that you know in in canon in this the reason that that sex tape got released is because tommy lee refused to pay uh <laughs> seth rogan's character like the matter of a few grand for re you know developing his house essentially and then he decided to take his revenge in, in quite brutal and spectacular fashion and it seemed like all the horrible shitty things that happened in her life kind of were really out of her control and it it, it shows a lot of like the exploitation of, of actresses around that time and again even attitudes i don't know if you guys saw this but someone posted on twitter maybe a year or so ago and it was jimmy kimmel interviewing like lindsay lohan it must have been only 10 years ago and he was just being so horrible to her like really making fun of like all the problems she'd been having the alcoholism and like bits and pieces in her personal life 
just generally being just a douchebag and you think that maybe we'd moved on from male talk show hosts belittling and being awful to women like that but clearly we hadn't because it was still happening in the relatively recent past but yeah the, the way they start off with especially Jay Leno is such a such a, he's a another prototypical douchebag that you just think oh god why why does anyone have to sit here and endure his nonsense basically but yeah i i think the the show will how dare you diss the star of wcw road wild 1998 from sturgis fucking shove it right up the tailpipe of that um yeah it it's a very it's a very extreme show it's at the moment it's in a sort of very fun playful kind of um part uh, hedonist comedy part heist movie type situation but I think it's just going to be a bit of a sour tale towards the end. The The acting performances from Lily James and Sebastian Stan are so fantastic. They've got the you know the, the just the intimate details of how the characters are down pat so perfectly and it's just really it's really fascinating to watch them interact with each other and kind of imagine how this would have played out and it feels incredibly authentic to to what the experience would have been so it's uh it's, it's just a it's a very interesting show i a massive trigger warning for content if people don't want to see a man talking to his own penis <laughs> but if you're okay with that and and also well, lots of other nudity and drug taking all that sort of thing yeah well we're going to talk about the jackass trilogy in a moment i was going to so. say speaking speaking of men talking about their own penises yeah, I mean, um, that's just Pontius, though, isn't it, really? That's just I mean, it's oh, it's not just. It's mainly, but yeah. but not just. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose that's the that's the logical segue, Mark. Thanks, thanks for You're that. You're welcome. Um, I, in anticipation of uh, Jackass Forever, and I just want you guys to know that this is how much I, I value you guys as friends and how much I value the podcast, that I very much could be seeing that movie right now, as excited as I am for it, but I'm doing the podcast instead. I, um, I have a 10.50 Sunday morning viewing set up. That's definitely the time you want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you will scream at fucking lunchtime, all right? Yeah, yeah. Good point. Uh, speaking from experience here, my friend. That was government um, mandated, though. He didn't have a choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all right, fair. That's, yeah, that's true. We had curfews. Um, so, yeah, in anticipation of that, I've been kind of like, I haven't had time to watch like the whole series or anything like that in, in the last week or two. But um, what I have done is sit down and, and watch the entire, like, the, the three jackass movies and also I've started uh, on the side on my trips in and out of work reading Steve-O's book which is also highly recommended but I won't get into that this week did you watch the point fives as well I didn't watch the point fives oh, just the just the unrated just the unrated versions of the the film yeah um so yeah like it's it's interesting because I every time I think right this will be the time where I'm like oh I've I've completely grown out of this. I come back to it and I laugh just as hard as the, at the things that I've always found funny. And I think there's kind of a, it's interesting. There's kind of like, um, as well as the nostalgia, which like the longer I go in between sessions and the further I get away from that period of time, the more the nostalgia value creeps into going back because it's such a snapshot of a time and place um, in our uh, in our youth but also it's funny looking back at them and seeing like it's kind of 
heartwarming almost in a weird way because like they're doing horrible things to themselves and each other but there is this weird kind of like camaraderie that that creeps into it all that is really touching at points i think it is as well i think because of the certainly when you come off the back of watching the films when you go back and watch the television series it's almost like watching a home movie or something you know like watching those old vhs tapes because yeah, it's quaint. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also watched, uh, you know, in addition to this, I watched a movie that's actually you can watch it on YouTube. I was finding it hard to find elsewhere. Uh, called Dumb, which is a documentary about the history of Big Brother magazine. Oh, that which is, is such where, a fantastic documentary. Yeah, which is where about half the the cast came from. So, like, it, for those of you who don't know that, like, the Jackass crew is an amalgam of. The, some of the staff from Big Brother magazine including Jeff Tremaine who was like the who was the kind of like the man pulling the strings behind the camera for Jackass but he was also the the editor at Big Brother um, so the likes of Knoxville and Pontius and Steve-O came in through there and they kind of joined up with the CKY crew who were operating out of Pennsylvania that's your your BAMs and, and, and people like that and Ryan Dunn and um, they, it's interesting because in that documentary they, Tremaine tells a story that when they were pitching the show to MTV all they did was splice together stuff from the Big Brother tapes and the CKY tapes and just fucking send it into MTV and be like that's the show this guy Johnny Knoxville's the main character in it <laughs> Um, but yeah, oh god, so so much fun, so good. I you know I was tweeting out this week that is butter being okay is still one of the funniest things anyone's ever said in a film. I never fail to die laughing when he said that. But what I wanted to do as part of this was I wanted to open up the the chat here to uh, favorite jackass memories, either movies or TV show or the extended i have these movies and like the series and wild boys and stuff like that on a folder on my hard drive called jackass cinematic universe um <laughs> so yeah, yeah your 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 favorite jackass memories guys uh, let's go uh mark uh so i i the first thing because there was a tweet that was going around that people were quote retweeting their favorite thing from um, the one that immediately came to me was Ryan Dunn and the toy car, um, which just the whole setup of that is just is just beautiful. And um, you know, the star of that show is the doctor, who's you know just like you, you don't tell anyone about this. Like she knows that's that's one too many people already. Just the whole thing uh, is is hilarious. Um, the whole setup of Dave England and Bam Margera trying to like find out if someone can actually do a drop kick um, and kick the other guy <laughs> in the face, and Bam Margera completely just fucking like his drop kick is trash. Like he just kicks Dave England <laughs> he, in the side of the he, chest. He he is no Okada. No, he is not. Um, and then <laughs> it it has been said before, but Bam Margera is no Okada. And then Dave England just throwing out a, a five star drop kick, you know, a hardcore Holly classic style yes. drop kick, vintage Bob Holly. Um, and then one that comes to mind as well, and it's not, it's such a dumb thing, and it's a combination of you've got Bam and Ryan. I think it's during the the three point five film where they're talking on like chairs um, out like next to like London Bridge or Tower Bridge. And yep. they're talking about this thing they were trying to do where they were trying to run at each other and then, like, kind of, like, 
get each the, other both in the nuts. I can't the flying the, nut high five. The flying nut we, high five. <laughs> where they both like jump in the air with spread legs and one person goes horizontally yeah. and the other one goes ver- vertically and they're sort of like mid-air scissor each other in the nuts, basically. And I, what, is, what is it? It's like you want to do something that looks spectacular and dangerous but has like a low kind of risk of actually doing anything. And this is the complete opposite. Like it looked like shit and it hurt like hell. And then during the, the whole thing as well, Bam Margera's chair is just kind of collapsing on him as well. And uh, it's like one of those kind of lasting memories of Ryan Dunn that I have um, that is, is kind of bittersweet now, obviously, in hindsight. Um, and then the other one, the, the final one, then it wasn't me that put it, but it was just Jamie saying, I'm Steve-O, why do I have to be Steve-O? Yeah, oh, when he's doing the, like, the, the baseball yeah. swing into his balls. It's like, oh, why do I have to be Steve-O? <laughs> I thought that was much earlier. That's in three, the, like the third one, yeah. yeah. That felt yeah. like it was a lot longer ago than it was. Yeah, those moments where there's, like, you can see, because it wasn't the rule on Jackass always, like, if you came up with it, you had to do it. Um, yeah, and I, like there are moments where like they clearly thought it would be a funny idea for a stunt, but the moment they actually get on set to do it, you can see in their eyes. Like in the first movie, Johnny Knoxville doing the uh, the the non-lethal round to the oh stomach, God. and he's just like genuine. It's I think it's the only time in all the films, and this is a guy who's been like gored numerous times by bulls, and like this is the one time I saw legitimate fear in his eyes. Although that um, sketch he did in the Big Brother magazine movie that no one has ever really seen is ten times worse because or they, he shot himself. They took him out into yeah. the middle of the desert. Essentially, he put on a bulletproof vest, yeah. grabbed a revolver, and shot himself in the chest. I and yeah, in the documentary, I had heard about that footage. Uh, never because, seen like, it until I saw in, that yeah in a bunch of like interviews and things about um, about Jackass they're like you know one of the classic questions always is Jack do the Jack is ask the Jackass crew is like what's the most extreme stunt that you weren't allowed or didn't end up recording and Johnny Knoxville always says that they wanted to recreate that but on like a higher stakes yeah um and yeah, like just watching him stand out there in the middle of nowhere and just like his arms shaking as he has a revolver pointed right at his chest. It's so sketchy. Everyone that's there, Cossack, they're just like, why are we doing this? This is this is awful. Yeah. They, a lot of, I feel like that the They're two, getting legit mad at him yeah. for like them having to be there and watch this. Yeah, well, they thought they might see a man kill himself that day. Yeah. Like, yeah, Knox, Knoxville is hardcore. Um, He's he's the yeah. sort of guy that you could just never assume is is gonna turn anything down. Um, well, this is the thing. I think like sometimes people overlook him because he doesn't do some of the most viscerally gnarly stuff in the movies. Like he does some, like the, the aforementioned goring by the bulls and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like dude is underrated hardcore. Like, yeah. um, well, well, when he shot himself out, it was I think it was the first jackass or maybe the second. He filled like an entire rocket full of bottle rockets and lit them all on fire, and one of them smashed through about two or three inches away from where his body was at yeah. 100 miles per hour, and it would have killed him because it would have gone right through him if it had hit him. Yeah. And then he just looked at it and he goes, well, if that hit me, that's a picture wrap on old Knoxville and it's cackles. Yeah. And you're like, motherfucker nearly died and he's finding it hilarious. Does so, that high yeah. giggle that he always does. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Garrett? 
based on my silence, I think you can tell I'm not a jackass guy. I was yeah. going to say, that's what I was like, yeah. Um, was it kind of, was it just never for you or did it miss you? Because like, I know it was a thing where like, I, with my groups of friends, I couldn't have avoided watching that show if I wanted to. It was just such a big deal. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like in the age group that it should have been, but I guess it yeah. just never happened because I've never seen the movies and I've seen bits and pieces of the show in passing because obviously yeah. it would have been on MTV constantly in the years in which I would have watched television on an actual television. And like, I have no yeah. objection to Jackass. I've just, it, it just passed me by. Ships yeah. sailing in the night. I, I've spoken to like some people who kind of have the thing about there are certain genres of stunt and pranks they do on the show that I guess that some people aren't into. Like some of the stuff that involves, you know, members of the public can be a bit cringe for people. And um, the other stuff is all the, uh, uh, the stunts that involve various forms of uh, effluent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the Dave like, England sketches, basically. Yeah, my, you, my, myself and Emma were talking earlier about uh, like the one that lives traumatically in her head now is the puke omelette one. Oh God, that is yeah. Who was is, it? Did that? We were trying to remember who did that. I think that I think that was England, wasn't it? Was it? Because I was, was going to like England it, or Steve-O? Well, that's in my head. Those were the two nominees. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't remember. I but, didn't want to Google it because I don't want that in my search history. But do, do you know what? Even with all that said. I, whenever I go back and watch Jackass, I'm always surprised by how much it hasn't, you know, turned bad. Like, you know, if you watched any comedy movie from the early 2000s, there's probably, you know, 20 to 25% in there where you're like, oh, God, this has aged so badly. I think Jackass has aged a lot better than any of the other comedy well, movies. That's because none the of the comedy in there is like attacking down uh, another yeah. group or whatever the case may be like it's all and self-inflicted it's yeah, funny listening to the like, dicks. Yeah. on some things they're like they just happen to be ahead of the curve whether they realized it or not at the time because as listen to steve-o has a podcast on youtube and he was talking about how him and pontius did an episode and they were talking about how like people have complimented them now for like how forward thinking they were about like uh like all the male nudity and male on male implied gay relationship stuff and uh they were just like we honestly you know what i mean we're happy that we did that and that we were essentially that the targets of the joke of those kind of jokes were always the homophobes it wasn't that them like acting like that was the joke it was the reactions of the horrified intolerant people yeah that was the funny part but they said like honestly all we were thinking at the time is just like male nudity is inherently funny yeah 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 there, there, <laughs> there was no deeper thought to it than that there's no way there was you know because steve-o was just out of his mind at the time the funny uh, thing as well at is the they time s- well yeah <laughs> they said he's that, still out of his mind he's just out of his mind and sober yeah. and vegan now they said that um, bam when they started the show was the most homophobic and then the thing i love is that he goes from that to like having golden dildos fired up his butt and like yeah. doing all sorts of stuff like french kissing ryan dunn yeah. when when they mentioned I, the, sh- the, the, t- the town bista which is written as bychester for anyone I, out there I guess it's it probably makes the most sense for Bam because he's the one of the lot of them that was the most like distinctly upper middle class, you know, before he was even in the show. Like he came from a family with land and a bit of money, like not wealthy, but like 
doing pretty well over in Pennsylvania where like the rest of them like Steve-O was literally in the circus when <laughs> yeah. they found him <laughs> but the funny, that's the funny thing about Steve-O and then you learn that he like went to a private school in England and yeah. stuff and the reason he was in the circus is just because he was an unbelievable addict slash fuck up yeah. for most of yeah. his life basically yeah and he's incredibly uh, intelligent. He's just also yeah. completely mental. That's why, guys, honestly, if you've never read his book, it's really fascinating. Like, he's a really interesting dude. Yeah. Um, who came from, like you said, a really interesting like background that you wouldn't have expected. Um, I suppose, Jack, we'll stick with you then to, to round it off. Uh, some of your favorite stunts, bits, uh, memories. I So I, I love uh, the CKY stuff before. Some of that has aged. Oh, here he is, hipster. Some of that has <laughs> aged poorly, unfortunately, but um, Brandon DiCamillo is always probably one of the people that I found the most naturally hilarious yet yeah. when when the when the money and the and the attention and stuff came he was more likely to be like nah i don't i don't want to be in these movies that are you know yeah. making all of this money at the box There's office like and a fraction of a percentage of me was like how amazing would it be if they were working everybody and deco shows up for like one stunt in the new movie but i'm pretty sure they couldn't have kept you know what i mean like we would have heard about that a long time ago yeah. if he had precisely yeah. um and and a lot of those things and you know, just the, just the thing of them basically. I mean, they didn't invent it, but popularizing the idea of loading someone into a shopping cart and then pushing them from that shopping cart into a bush or into the thing, and then Deco just like spending the next sort of half an hour laughing about the sound that Jess Margera, Bam's brother, made when he hit the deck, just how he was going to loop the sound over and over, and and just listen to it all, all the time, and that that, that was awesome. Lots of the stuff that I love in Jackass. I mean, the stunts are all great. You know, there's there's a million. Like, I love the the Jackass three, the doo doo falls plunge thing where they put Steve-O in a porta potty and then like bungee cord him a hundred feet in the air and bits and pieces. I like, like the that. one from three as well. The other one with the porta potty where they just blow up the porta potty. Like, yeah, with that blue like, paint. Yeah. It's like, was it they get Knoxville? Not Knoxville. They get Dave England and they get Steve-O with it as well. <laughs> They get they get done as well, and his oh, reaction is just, "Dude, that thing goes." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just the way he says it, it's just it's brilliant. Uh, Ryan was always, I mean, so one of my early email addresses featured random hero as uh, as part of it, and you know, I was, Ryan was always my guy, and I I just love that they kind of talk about in in Jackass um, three point five where it's like. If everybody is doing the bit too good or too smoothly, and it's something that kind of involves being acrobatic or whatever, and because you've got skateboarders there, you've got kind of people that are relatively athletic and coordinated, even if they are all crazy idiots, right? But they mm. just send in Ryan to just make the biggest pig's fucking ear of it, the absolute thing. Like that, they, where they had the, they had all the barrels set up and a surfboard, and like Bam was like riding surfboard on it. I think Pontius managed to ride the surfboard down, and he was doing too well. And Ryan just goes and tries to bodyboard it, and he just slams into all of these barrels, and then bounces up about two feet off the barrels and hits the, and just makes this sound as he's doing it, and everyone just losing their mind. I love the one where they go to slingshot him out of like this warehouse in a shopping cart, yes. and like they're afraid he's going to do it too well. So literally, as he's being released, Bam closes the shutter on the warehouse, and, then, and he just eats shit, knees first into the shutter. He 
eat so much shit and then bam clearly does it and and then and then everyone's like you should apologize and he just goes i had nothing to do with it yeah he had stone face <laughs> just me- um i love in the like it's you know I don't think it's recency bias at this stage, but in the third one, I because it's, you know, me and Jack are on the record of this show of just loving the most low IQ, dumb humor sometimes, and the giant paper mache spring-loaded hand. Oh, God, it's the best. <laughs> I, I So here's the thing, Garrett, have you seen the, the bit with the giant hand in Jackass? No. Okay, so this is the bit that I show you, so... Um, they, they they set it up. Uh, they, they said this like it's about what about it, it's about as big as a man. This <laughs> paper mache hand, hand. Oh. giant hand, and they set it up on the far side of a doorway on a spring loaded hinge, so that like once whoever is holding it lets it go, it swings back with a tremendous amount of force into the the gap in the door. And what they basically do is they're standing in the break room, tricking a succession of people to like walking in and then just smacking them with this gigantic hand the one where they get Aaron to bring in a tray full of soup and he falls <laughs> for it and they he just eats shit and they smash him so hard with this giant hand it breaks the tray it covers him in soup and you just <laughs> clean in half it just cuts for it just cuts to Knoxville he's got his head on his hand and in the highest pitch possible ever he's like he fell for the soup he's and so he's just, happy he's so mad at himself then when he gets up and he's like oh my god they asked me to bring in soup how did I not see this coming I was like of course I'll bring in this giant tray full of soup into the but, kitchen but the bam one where it uh, swings they, back and it they, hits him with they, all the flour and yeah, he just they, goes from vertical to horizontal, <laughs> to horizontal in like half a second of time yeah. oh just yeah eats. they 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 call it antiquing him where they like they attach bags of flour to the hand and they call in bam and as bam is passing the doorway wee man just goes hey bam high five and the thing swings and it's just white an explosion of white as jack says he goes from vertical to horizontal flies about three feet back and hits the deck it's just fantastic I, he I, gets up looking like a victorian ghost <laughs> <laughs> i you know things i love about the show that like you know you've already mentioned uh, i a lot of the bits where it's just them just dicking around and then something really funny happens like say jackass 3.5 where bam's walking past ryan and he just whacks a tennis ball at him and it just hits him in the nuts just little stuff like that where you kind of get a glimpse of like you were saying earlier dave their relationship which it 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 feels like it's 50 like they say it's 50 percent really good natured and everyone loves each other and it's a family and 50 percent like trying to ruin each other's lives basically yeah but it's like it's very seldom in a way that you could um understand as like cruel or anything like that because i think if it was like cruel pranks i probably wouldn't be on board with us like if no. it was just mean um like the only watching the whole trilogy I think the only stuff that I can think of is like okay that's a bit too mean is when they keep doing the stuff to bam with the snakes snakes yeah when it's because clear, like yeah. snake it, it becomes like a running thing for them that they all know at least once in the movie they're going to make bam actually cry yep and the one the, the thing that the one that annoyed me the most out of them is the one where they're doing this running bit where they keep is it, it is it the one the where Rocky. they keep shaving yeah, the Rocky thing where, like, they get the super slow-mo camera, Bam sneaks up behind them, throws a glass of water in one side of their face and then hits them in the other side with a boxing glove. 
and they play the Rocky music while in slow motion. So they tell him that Jeff Tremaine is sitting on the end of a, a truck, so he should sneak up inside the truck behind him and do it. So what he doesn't know is that they've rigged the truck so that there's a trap door and an eleven foot drop into like a pile of boxes and a load of rubber snakes. And I think that in and of itself turned out really funny. And then, like, it's a psych out. It's like it's a double psych out because not only did Bam not realise he was the victim of the prank, but once he finally got over that, okay, they're just rubber snakes, but I still want to get out of here, the animal handlers come in and fuck about 100 snakes in on top of them. <laughs> just a crazy Actual amount of snakes. Shoot you're thinking, snakes. Where are all these coming from? Um, but yeah, I, I, he does a lot of stuff to people. Like uh, it, I think it's somewhat deserved in some ways. The, yeah. the thing is, they all get each other so much. There's no yeah. winner in Jackass. Everybody yeah. gets done. And uh, one thing that I really want to shout out is anyone who loves like punk and metal and rock and anything. The soundtracks. Yeah. They just get them so perfect. And then even when they use, you know, like pop music or dance music or any of the, like the party boy music, for instance, is just <laughs> pitch perfect. But I just think that the music choices in the show come from a, a bunch of people that genuinely love this sort of music. And it, mm. it, it, it I think they use music better than I'd say like 95% of movies I've ever seen. Jackass. But before we move on, I'll say, um, two pranks that I loved that uh, come out of the that doesn't hold up nearly as well Viva La Bam and that are uh, the one where they sneak in when Ryan Dunn's asleep and they cling film him to the mattress <laughs> yes <laughs> just very slowly very quietly all passing massive rolls of cling film over and under the bed and leaving him stuck there uh, and the other one is where they I can't remember is it from Viva La Bam actually or is it the Jackass show where they sneak into April and Phil's house Phil and April Bam's parents and they <laughs> no I think I think it might be Viva Lab where they iron hamburgers onto all of Phil's clothes like yep. every item of clothing he owns <laughs> down to socks and underwear they <laughs> <laughs> they they iron on giant images of cartoon hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, that is Viva La Bam. The, the best episode of Viva La Bam is the one where Knoxville comes and they end up just spending the whole show trying to ruin each other's lives, basically. Oh, yeah. And the, my like, favourite... Knoxville gets a saw and cuts a uh, cuts a sunroof into Bam's SUV. <laughs> my my favourite, too, are when Bam actually buys out billboard space and puts Johnny Knoxville's shoot mobile phone number on there and he's got like 800 missed calls and then the other one is Johnny Knoxville going into a bar and buying people drinks all night when actually what he's done is steal Bam's credit card put it behind the bar and he signs off like a few thousand dollars of a bar tab brilliant Um, Garrett you have been watching an interesting mix of things ah yes Uh, CSI Vegas we have any CSI heads here is that the uh, by CSI Vegas? Do you mean like the original CSI, or have they come back with a? Because the original series is Vegas, isn't it? Yeah, because the original series is Vegas, the 2000 to 2015, I think, 15 years it ran. Yeah. But they they've done a limited series, ten episodes, released last year, with um, William Peterson's Gil Grissom and Georgia Fox's Sarah Seidel coming back, and then it's kind of like they pitch it as an epilogue series but it's actually like kind of a backdoor reboot because it has a whole new cast other than them and they're not coming back for the second season so it's very much a remember the characters you liked we desperately hope you like these new characters because the old ones aren't coming back for season two but i did watch the the reboot season because i have a very 
soft spot in my heart for CSI. It was like the first show I watched realizing like what television was as like a moderate adult when I was like 11 or 12 or 13. I was like, oh, there's not just cartoons. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So CSI was like that first show. And that would have been what two or three seasons into CSI at that stage. And so I have a very soft spot for these characters, a very soft spot for this world as much as you can have the world of CSI. (laughs) So like the idea of them bringing back some of these characters for a 10 episode run I was into it. I actually, I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would. I thought it would be just like, oh, it's a bit of a nostalgia pop for watching these old CSI characters that I enjoyed. And it is. And like anytime the, the old characters aren't on screen, it's very much a, can you get can you get back to the old characters, please? I don't care about these new stories. Will it be potentially be a thing where they could like draw back more? Like, because I'm telling you, if you tell me that there's going to be a second season of this and Caruso's going to rock up, yeah, if he strolls in there, Horatio Kane with his one-liners. Ah, oh. oh. I I was always more of a Law and Order guy. Mm. Um, dun dun. You know, one because like how funny it was that Ice T was in a crime procedural like I, I John Mulaney does a routine about that better than I ever will um, but that was great but also uh, you know you say that it was like CSI is the series where you start realising what adult TV is I think like Law and Order was one of the first TV series where I realised what proper like acting chops were because in the middle of like this you know, one of these spin-off series of Law and Order, uh, you had like people just doing a very capable television acting job, and then in Law and Order: Criminal Intent, you had Vincent D'Onofrio as the lead actor, and it's like, oh, this guy is on a different fucking level to these people. Like you're looking at this guy going, why is he? Because st-? it was still the stigma of TV acting at the time. You're like, why is this guy stuck doing TV? He was awesome in it. But I do, like, because, you know, I lived with my grandmother, so I saw many crime procedurals. I have seen many episodes of CSI. Um, and I, I do like Gil Grissom. He's very good. Yeah, I, I like his, that, that that character, that role, that performance. Again, it's similar to the Nafrio thing. It's like, oh, William Peterson's very good on this television show that's a very kind of cliche crime drama. The original Will Graham in the first uh, cinematic adaptation of a, a Hannibal Lecter story. If any, if uh, there's any fans of the movie Manhunter out there, yeah, at, uh, an underrated one. If you want to see uh, Sir Brian Cox ham it up as Lecter, that's 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 the movie for you. Yeah, the premise of this is that um, David Hodges, who was a character in the original series, has been framed for uh, manufacturing evidence. And he's been brought to trial. So the, the whole the credibility of the entire legacy of CSI is on the line. So you need Ooh. Grissom and Sarah Seidel, Georgia Fox of um, the West Wing fame. Georgia Fox is in the West Wing for a little while. Gina Toscano? Toscano, yeah. yeah. She was in the West Wing. So they're back to save the dignity of the CSI department. And again, like they did pitch it as like a one and done epilogue 10 series story with some new characters, but it has been renewed for a season two without the old characters coming back. So I was going to say, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, if people don't like it that much, we only ever plan to do one series. But if it does well. And my favorite thing, I was checking some of the IMDb's and there's a guy who plays like the DA in it, who has played a different character in the original CSI in CSI New York, in CSI Miami, and now CSI Vegas. Amazing. I don't think I ever watched much CSI NY. Who was, like, the main people? Was that the one with, oh, Gary Sinise? Gary Sinise, yeah, his name went out of my head there. Thank you for remembering it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know where I, I, I'm kind of impressed with myself being able to pull Gary Sinise out of nowhere yeah. um, but another guy who was like that was kind of the run with these shows both CSI and Law and Order is that you'd get like a bunch of TV actors and then one guy who's like probably like a level above what you'd expect on a show like that mm. hey, sometimes you gotta get that payday you know yeah you got to get that money. And let me tell you, I imagine, Garrett, with how long those CSI shows ran, none of them necessarily needed the work. No. I'd say some of these people retire. I see some like some of the series regulars who just haven't acted since. And it's like, you know, if you were in 15 seasons of CSI, you probably you could probably retire on that. I would Rem- imagine so, yeah. Remember when uh, at WrestleMania 21, one of the only big big celebrities they could uh, attract to be ringside was Mark Heldenberger from CSI. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> after watching this, I've downloaded the first season of the original show and I've watched the first two episodes and it's like, oh, it's Mark yeah. Heldenberger, the star of WrestleMania 21. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Her, Sandler and Rob Schneider were the, the three main oh, celebrities. Wait, oh, 21, oh. that was the one in Hollywood, right? WrestleMania yeah. Goes Hollywood, yeah. So they were actually yeah, in they Hollywood. Yeah, the big stars for that one. That's all they could get. <laughs> Fuck it all. Yeah. yeah you'll be pleased, though, that there's a video game episode of CSI Vegas where a game developer is killed, and there's the line author is like, We don't want another Gamergate to happen. That's like, Oh, oh Jesus no. Christ. Oh, Christ. Though I, I remember. I went back and whole... watched the. the yeah. as I went back and watched the first two episodes of the original CSI, and there's a line in the first episode where they're waiting for some like DNA evidence to process, and one of the characters turns to the other. It's like, "Hey, you get Madden 2K on the on the Dreamcast?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I got it the first day he comes out." And then the other guy's like, "Mind blowing graphics, aren't they?" I'm like, Uh, "What is this show?" Oh no, I was not expecting the Dreamcast to come up in two separate segments in this show today. I remember one of the huge like gimmicks they did with CSI at one point was there was an episode directed by Quentin Tarantino, mm. and like they ended up, yeah they ended up selling that episode uh, as a standalone DVD and everything. It was a good episode. So, yeah, it's just weird whenever you look at uh, Quentin's directorial credits and you just see that in there. It's it's good stuff. Like that one scene in Sin City and this around that time. Um, yeah. Um, Oh, I was going to say something else about CSI. No, it's gone now. Um, the other show you were watching, um, The Next Door Neighbor's Dog's Puppy or whatever it's called. Oh, God, the longest title in the history of titles. The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window is the full name of the yeah. show. It's a yeah. Netflix show starring Kristen Bell, which is probably the only reason I watched it. But when I watched yeah. it... So, were, were you a Veronica Mars guy? Uh, no, but I liked Frozen oh. and I liked The Good Place. So, Oh, you, would, you might like Veronica Mars if you went back to it. I've watched um, a season and a half of it. I thought it was decent, oh, yeah. but it wasn't yeah. really my thing. Uh, I, I like it. Uh, and, you know, but, unlike other kind of, like, kooky shows with a female lead at the time, the uh, as far as I know, the creator of that show hasn't utterly disgraced himself yet, so it's still problematic. <laughs> like, prob- problematic-free reviewing. Because of... That was a C-dub show, wasn't it? Yes. Or a WB, whatever the equivalent of was back then. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. Smallville it was, was my WB o- show, so yeah, it was it was for a while. It was like uh, Veronica Mars, Smallville, and Supernatural were the only three shows uh, on that network. Yeah. And f- incredibly, Supernatural only finished like a year ago. Yeah, that and Bones were the two shows that are just oh, like yeah. they're still on the air. <laughs> yeah, shout out uh, for getting Sarah Marshall as well. Kristen Bell's great in that. Yeah. But yeah, I watched this on Netflix, and I was so pleasantly disgusted. Uh, uh, 
pleasant surprise, that's the word I'm looking for, that the, the, every episode is shorter than 30 minutes. All of them. Oh. For a Netflix show. I'm like, yes. oh. In fact, one of them is 22 minutes, including credits. So it's like 18. It's like, oh, that's what I'd like to hear. That's, the whole thing is probably three and a half hours long, eight episodes. And I was like, I watched it in one sitting after Dynamite on Wednesday night. I started watching it. I was like, listen, I might as well finish it. So I sat there. It's like a dark comedy crime thriller. She witnesses a murder across the street from a, a, a guy and her, his daughter, whose wife died in mysterious circumstances and then she witnesses another murder and she thinks he's a murderer and then away we go and it's it's is Kristen Bell the girl in the window or the woman in the house she's both Ooh. <laughs> and neither <laughs> and could be neither you're right she could be neither she could be both Oh, I wasn't expecting a, an answer that was <laughs> outside of one or the other because <laughs> like the, the big thing is that her daughter died as well so she's on like psychotropic drugs so she's but there's an unreliable narrator are you seeing what's real or not element to this as well mm. for the most part and i think my biggest problem with it is it plays it too straight for seven episodes but i think it does that by design so it can play it very not straight for the finale and i think it goes to wacky town yeah it just goes to full wacky town at the end and like there obviously the whole thing is like it's a murder mystery so they reveal who done it and i fist pumped when they revealed who done it so i was like ah oh, yes this show's not boring hell yeah cool i like to hear like one short show mm-hmm. two interesting lead actor and three not a disappointing ending. You rarely get that holy trinity. Yeah, especially for Netflix shows, which I think as a general rule tend to burn bright and fizzle out. This one burns pretty slowly, but delivers in the end. Mm. Uh, without spoiling it, does it seem like there will be further seasons of it or is it just a self-contained miniseries is the intention? They do for sure set up a season two, whether or not it happens, you know, Netflix, but they're, they're, they yeah. certainly seem to have the intention of doing another. Okay, okay. Interesting stuff. Rounding us out, Mark Robinson. Speaking of shows or seasons that are eight episodes long and round out about 20 minutes per episode, uh, season 15 of It's Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, buddy. I, we, we ended up watching this in one sitting the other night. Uh, we was going to try and spread it out over a couple of nights, but... You know, it's very Moorish, very easy to get through. And, you know, we were pleasantly, pleasant, I don't know, pleasantly surprised, but we were surprised the fact that it was only eight episodes that tied up this season. Um, and, you know, we, me and my partner, we were speculating about, like, is the whole season going to be in Ireland or is it going to be just like the one episode? Because that was the, the sort of selling point of this mm. season was the fact that they would go to Ireland. And it ends up being four episodes of, <coughs> excuse me, it's kind of four episodes of uh, a lot of not. Uh, it's not entirely wrapped up in you know post uh, January the sixth and post kind of pandemic world, but there is a lot of commentary that is based in those yeah. things. There's there's essentially um, <laughs> a whole episode that weaves in how uh, various members of the gang from It's Always Sunny were partially, if not entirely, to blame for all the bad things that happened in America over the course of 2020 and 2021. And it was all based off of them all taking out PPP loans and um, yeah. them having to explain what their startup businesses were. 
yeah, so that was that was good fun. Um, there is an episode where they make Lethal Weapon Seven, um, but they try to make it, uh, should we say, like politically correct. Um, yeah, it's it's actually a really good meta episode yeah. because it's an episode that comments on the fact that Netflix did remove the episodes where they did do Lethal Weapons five and six, but removed them because Mac did blackface. Yeah, so like it's an episode about how quote-unquote, the library that they were displaying these movies in removed it, but it's actually a commentary on um, Netflix having done it. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I really like the fact they had an episode that... Because one of the things that you don't really get with Sonny, even, you know, 15 seasons in, is there isn't a whole lot of backstory to what they were like before or, like, how certain things came to be. And they do basically an episode where they establish, like, how they came to buy Paddy's Pub... um, which you're not expecting is the case at the start of the episode. Um, it's like this kind of pleasant swerve at the end. Um, and that was that was good fun, trying to watch these characters, all these actors now in their mid-40s, try and pretend to be a, like they're 20 again. Um, but then, yeah, they, they end up going to Ireland for four episodes, which is, is great because, um, you know, having now lived here for a number of years, um, or even, you know, if you go to Dublin um, on a couple of occasions, you know, if you go to Dame Street, you can see like, oh, hey, there's that pan shot of, of Dame Street. Um, and even some of the bits where they go into the countryside, like I feel like I, I recognized parts of it when I did the, the Ring of Kerry. Um, but yeah, like that whole thing that there's stuff about like Dennis gets COVID, but he is absolute like he's resolute that he doesn't have COVID, but it is obviously, you know, that he does. Um, and they play with that. Uh, and Dennis is like, they do a couple of things to De- him where he gets <sighs> like super creepy. And he, you know, like Dennis or Glenn, like Howerton, his character, the way he uh, portrays like those moments where Dennis goes psychotic or like extra creepy always cracks me up. Sorry, I thought you were going to say something, mm. Dave. No, no. Yeah. Um, the uh but like the kind of overarching story that they get to is the fact that like charlie like actually meets his dad and um i saw this bit actually on twitter before i saw it on the show but like they did a bit where um so the the running gag for anyone who's never watched it like throughout the show is that charlie can't read or write um but they're in a, a a I think they're in Trinity College and they're looking it, through they're, they're not actually, but yeah, because well, it's like yeah. they clearly only got to do some filming here before they shut down because like a lot of the season that is in Ireland is clearly in either hastily put together sets in America or on some of, God bless them, the worst green screen I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the production is not great in this season. In they fairness. did intend to come here though, didn't they? And they couldn't because they, they were here. They were here. They were here, yeah. but they weren't here for as long as they like. They wanted to like wholesale move over here, but uh, the problem was COVID happened, so everywhere was in lockdown. Like they wanted to film at Trinity College, but I I don't know like how much you've been up to Dublin, um, Garrett, in the last couple of years. But like Trinity College literally was shut to everybody but students um, until relatively recently. I think the last time I was up in Dublin, like a few weeks ago, was the first time I saw it open without the big guard stands in front of it since COVID started. So they obviously just came, did all the outside shots and pickup shots they needed, and then just headed back before they yeah. got stuck like stuck over here like Matt Damon did when the first lockdown happened where he got stuck up in Dalky everybody remember that definitely definitely yeah they're definitely most of the, the bulk of the on on, sh- uh, on location shots would be where they were in the west um, by far 
because uh, there's there's a bulk of it where they're outside um, for the last couple of episodes. But yeah, they go to Trinity College in air quotes, um, and like whatever is in Irish Gaelic, like Charlie is reading perfectly, and Mac is like, "What the fuck? How how are you doing this?" He's like, "Oh, it just it speaks to me. I understand it." And then they go to this cheesemonger's place in um, in the west, wherever they are, uh, because Charlie's looking for his pen pal. And uh, it turns out to be his dad. And there's this bit where they're talking in Irish to each other. And I can't talk for uh, the the ability of Charlie's Irish-speaking um, prowess, you know. Uh, I'll leave this over to Dave. Like, how, how well did Charlie do with this? I, I think he did pretty fucking well, yeah. to be honest. Like, you know, obviously he's still speaking in the charity voice, so thank God he's not trying an Irish accent. But, like, in terms of pronunciation, for the most part, he did... He did perfectly. And definitely if you're grading on the scale of how I think Americans would do an, uh, do the Irish language, he did stellar. Like, yeah. I can't think in my mind of anybody who's done better, apart from maybe when Stephen Fry came over and st- guest starred on an episode of Irish language soap opera, Ross Naroon. <laughs> I did not know that happened. but <laughs> Yeah, look it up on YouTube when we're done. Oh, amazing. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this this season. Like it's it's short and to the point, and it has pretty much everything everything you could ask for in an always sunny season. Like it has, they they've had a couple of moments over the last couple of seasons where they've hit those sort of like sweeter or more sentimental or more meaningful moments. Like you think about when Mac does his big dance routine to tell his father that he's gay, which I think is an incredible scene. Um, they, they've been able to touch in onto that nerve specifically, but they still, you know, they do their commentary. They have a, a fairly kind of centrist position, but it's not it's not done in a way where they're not actually saying anything. You know, there's still kind of commentary there. Um, and uh, it's still re- really funny. And I think, you know, like 15, I, I, I found the last couple of seasons to drag at times, but I think that having this only be eight, se- eight episodes long, uh, really works in its favour. Uh, I, I think yeah, it's incredible really for it. I think it's incredible for any show to be fifteen seasons in and still have the hit rate they do. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the the funniest episodes are like later season things. Um, yeah, I I really feel like know. that show kind of hit its stride. You know, a good like five or six seasons in. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I I think like. The only season that's a proper slog sometimes is season one. Yeah. Like I think the the like there are funny moments and things like that, but I don't think the show properly finds itself till Danny DeVito comes yeah, in. Absolutely. Season two. Yeah. And it's been interesting and it, it's been interesting you, listening you, to the you, podcast as well and them pretty yeah. much saying as much as well. And you marvel at like how the fuck they got him and how so quickly they got him to be the grossest person on television. <laughs> yeah, I know right. And he's just game for all of us. Um, yeah, absolutely incredible. Uh, what a man. Uh, keeping it in in um, in this part of the world. Uh, so I yeah. saw Belfast. Um, yeah. First of all, has anyone else? Just, just, just about on the, the 50th anniversary of uh, Bloody Sunday. Mark's about to tell us all about Northern Ireland. Yeah, I am here to uh, <laughs> tell you all about the troubles. Um, has anyone else seen this film yet? No. No. No, I, I'm going to see it though. Um, I'm booked to go see it, so okay. I'm excited because I think Kenneth Branagh is a, a really brilliant director. Uh, hammy as fuck actor, but like has a brilliant eye. I think Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, uh, he definitely knows how to film a shot. Uh, but thankfully, there's no Dutch angles in this one, at least. 
but um but, all, right, all right i have an analogy here for you boys that i know i am the only person in the world that has ever made this analogy and i i'm sure you're going to laugh at me for it but i i'm resolute in my convictions with this right belfast this film is to the troubles in northern ireland to what the walking dead is to the zombie genre oh yeah i see that in in that the walking dead is not actually about zombies it's about yeah the relationships and the conflicts and everything in between. Belfast, yeah. the film, it's, you know, set during this time, but it's actually... It's also like, not about of, zombies. It's also not about zombies. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, but no, it is, it's not really about the troubles. It is about, like, this family and it's, you know, it takes place during the troubles, but it's not, um, you know, depicting uh, the, the violence. I mean, there is a couple of scenes here and there, but really it's just about this kid, this nine-year-old, living during this time... Um, who, like, first of all, Jude Hill is the most charismatic eight or nine year old I've ever seen in my life. Um, and he absolutely needs to be a star. Uh, I think he's incredible for, like, when you get a child performance like this, it just, I am always blown away when this kind of thing happens. Like, how a kid can carry a film like this, you know? Um, like it's obviously it's nowhere near the same kind of level but like I go back and I watch that first Harry Potter film and it takes Daniel Radcliffe a couple of films to get to the point where he is in any way convincing um, him and the rest and the rest definitely uh, but Jude Hill like he is unbelievable and I cannot wait to see what he does going forward um, but it's yeah, semi-autobiographical isn't it Mark from what I understand so I didn't actually know that Kenneth Branagh was born in Belfast I yeah. th- this was Kenneth news Branagh. to me Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty Irish name, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That, it, it him him and uh, Sam Neill as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it is kind of semi-autobiography, with, biographical, which makes it more... It definitely comes across as a very personal film. Um, and, you know, it's really... So, like, uh, Buddy, the, the kid, or Jude Hill's character, Buddy, um, his father is working away in England because, you know, there's just no work in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland at the time. Um, and early on in the film there is uh, so his family they're a Catholic family but they're living in, a, in like a Protestant area um, uh, but or is it the other way around I, I want to make sure I get this right yeah no he's a Protestant family um, <laughs> don't be living, messing that up yeah, I don't want to mess that <laughs> one no, fair enough no he's a he's in a Protestant family but they live in like a Catholic street um, and early on in the film uh, a, a collection of uh, Protestants come and you know they start ransacking houses uh, they, they just basically trash the street and one of the, I guess, the leaders of this Protestant group, they come to uh, Buddy's dad, uh, or they tell because I think Buddy's dad is away at the time and say, "Hey, when your dad gets back, come and get him to come and talk to us." And his dad is very much like he, he wants. He just he doesn't he has no interest in in the conflict or anything. He just wants to be there for his family and support them. Um, but for like Buddy, he you know the the greatest kind of conflict that he has is that. Um, there's a girl in his class that he really likes and so they have the way their seating arrangement is lined up that the smartest kids are at the front or the ones that are best performing at the front and so like but they're in rows of two so there's the two kids at the front and then Buddy is behind and the girl that he really likes is up front so he's trying to you know really improve his math so that he can get to the front and there's a really funny (laughs) scene where he finally does this um, where he gets to, to the front row and you can the camera is close up on him and he's smiling and beaming away and then he looks around and realizes that the girl has now back on the road behind <laughs> and it's it's really really well shot and there's like a bunch of like just kind of small like very small scale uh stakes type of scenarios like this throughout the film um 
within this kind of much bigger conflict that's going on and I found it a really charming film and um, it's I think it's only it's about 97 minutes long so more films need to be under that two hour mark uh, and yeah I really enjoyed it I, I get that people are banging on about like it's it's an Oscar bait film and you know I do see it but um, I I enjoyed it for what it was and uh, Judy Dench's Northern Irish accent is not that egregious because I think she understands that she can't really do one so instead of trying to ham it up she sort of just kind of blends between yep that's definitely the English accent and then there's kind of peaks where it goes a little bit sort of Belfast um, but yeah I, I think it's a, it's a really sweet film um, that by the end of it I, I shed a few tears uh, so uh, it, it's, I think it's worth worth seeing Is it mm. similar vibes to Derry Girls where it's like yeah, you've got all the troubles and stuff going on, but really, it's about the people in it rather than the nature of the stuff. It is, but I think Derry them. Girls is also much a lot about like a snapshot of Belfast, specifically in the nineties, and actually just kind of yeah. the nineties in general as well. Um, where you know, like, but yeah, the the kind of the the sentiment of what you say there is definitely there as well. Definitely. This is the sixties, yeah. isn't it, in Belfast? Uh, I think late late sixties, early seventies, around yeah. that period. Whereas Derry, yeah, Derry is like nineties Derry. Yeah. So take that era mm. specifically. <laughs> uh, right, let's uh, let's move on to some uh, video games. Um, I- I'll go first because I have the least to say here, um, and that is I'm still playing Halo Infinite. Uh, I'm getting towards the end of it now. Um, still really enjoying the open world aspect. And um, as well, I have been pleasantly surprised that some of those, you know, myself and Mark talked about it before, how there are the sections, the levels that are more linear and have a boss in them. And I am enjoying that, like, the last couple I've gone to have presented a nice challenge difficulty-wise because I was feeling like I was absolutely blitzing through those levels for the most part I was like this is kind of just I have to do it because it's on the critical path I'm not necessarily like I'm not hating it but I'm not like being blown away by it either but the last couple particularly the the command spire mission yeah I was just like there's a nice meaty bit of difficulty to that I was getting mowed down a lot more than I had been before so really enjoying that really enjoying some of those side missions like the ones where you go to procure some sort of uh, rare gun to, to add to your collection at the fobs and it's usually kind of like a pretty difficult combat challenge um yeah still enjoying roaming around that map and just seeing what trouble i can get myself into halo infinite pretty damn good game um and like if you've got game pass you absolutely should be downloading and playing through that thing because it's it's definitely worth your time and there is your Um, game pass promotion of the week indeed thanks uncle phil um Hey, Mark, let's, I'll tell you what, let's go to you next because I'm looking at the other two boys. It's going to be Pokemon Corner. Well, I can also talk about Pokemon as well, so I think we can leave that yeah. till, till last. Um, yeah. Yeah, all right. I, I won't spend too much time on Nobody Saves the World because Garrett did a pretty uh, succinct job of discussing that game last week. But uh, I, I really like it. I'm, I think I'm coming towards the end now. I mean, unless the game uh, surprises me, the, like, there's five gem shards to collect, if I'm correct. And uh, I've got the last two. I, I don't think there's much more past that, Garrett. No, mostly just the final boss. Cool. So the one thing I will say is uh, for about 60% of the game, I feel the game does a pretty good job of, uh, hey, just all of the quests that you need to, to complete, um, just playing through the game, doing the critical path will kind of clear a lot of that up. But I did find that 
the last couple of characters that I was, or the last couple of classes that I was either trying to unlock or upgrade, um, that's where the game has gotten a little bit grindy for me, but the game is is kind of varied enough and it makes it easy enough to go and unlock those uh, those kind of last classes that you need to do. And the way that it kind of challenges you to swap around the classes to take like other offensive like attacks from, from some of the other classes and bolt them onto your one that you're trying to use, um, I think it kind of varies, varies up the challenge enough that it keeps it interesting. But they're definitely, for me at least, it has gotten a little bit grindy in the last couple of hours as I've tried to um, get the, the necro Necromancer and the Robot. And now I, I think I need to find like the last nest with the egg to, to um, get the dragon, uh, the final class. But yeah, I, I, I'm having a blast of it. It's just something I'll just kind of sit there and two hours will fly by and I don't really need to think about it too much. Other than just, you know, trying to kind of determine, all right, what class do I need for here? And what actual, like, attacks do I need to be using? Because it does do the things you mentioned um, about there's, like, the blunt and sharp and... Um, light and dark. What? Yeah, light and dark. And you have to, you know, make sure you have the right attacks to break those wards. And they can be challenging sometimes and they can be a little bit annoying. But, yeah, overall, I I have... I really don't have a lot of negatives to kind of point towards this game. Uh, it's, it's a really bright, simple... But it's it's a pleasant surprise. It's a real pleasant surprise. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm I, with you. Another way, I think it's it's too long. I agree. I, I it is. It is. I do. Yeah, definitely. I I do feel like it's like we could have wrapped this up probably round about where I am now instead of I've still got a couple of hours left by the looks of it. And a little bit in his credit because the period in which I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. I could just go and spend another hour and finish the game. So like, yeah. the game does give you enough freedom. That's like, oh, you're bored with this, are you? Just go, just go beat it. You can go, you go find <laughs> those last two dungeons, beat the game. There's nothing else. You, we, you, we, you know what we're giving you at this stage. If you want to do more of it, it's there. If it's not, just go beat the game. Yeah, I, I do wish the writing was just a little bit sharper uh, because <laughs> I, I will be honest. For the most part, I don't care about anything that's going on, and I only say that because. Because there are, are quite a lot of moments in Guacamole where some of those characters are quite funny and some of the writing is really good, um, but none of that is really translated over to, to this. But it's in no way kind of like crucial to enjoying that game, so you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to hold it for that. It's something I haven't even thought about just because it's it's such a backseat part of the game. <laughs> it's, it's just like I don't care. Yeah. It's there's some dialogue there. You skip through it. There might be an occasional decent one-liner. For the most part, it's entirely pointless. Yeah, but I, I I don't know whether to say it's a good or a bad thing that you don't need to read any of the text to know exactly what you need to do because mm. most of the game is just kind of built within the quest system anyway. So, um, and you know the game is easily laid out in terms of like the map and where to get to. That yeah, it's it's, it's just not what the game is trying to do. No, not at all. No. So yeah, so I, I I'm enjoying that. Um, paparazzi, uh, paparazzi. Sorry, sorry. Is this? Is, is there a, a name for the? F- photograph genre of video game because now we have a bunch of them snap like um, yeah. i believe we have to go <laughs> yeah i i was gonna say this is just dogamon snap isn't it to some degree yeah with a bit of umarangi generation i, I think it's a there. little bit more like umarangi because it's more based in like you have objectives to fulfill like you, they're, they're more like kind of quests if you will using um nobody saves the world or if anyone played toem last year it's quite a lot like that in terms of the flow um now the thing is i will say that where like umarangi because they're both very sort of these like lo-fi indie games in their presentation but umarangi is clearly doing a kind of vaporwave approach to it and and it has that kind of cool vibe uh, almost like it's a you know like a dreamcast game or something 
I do feel like paparazzi is really just like no a lot of these corners have been cut because like this is just a kind of a, a simple cheap um indie game to just kind of throw out made in unity and that's not to discredit developers because there's someone who's trying to make games at the moment making games is not fucking easy but you know just a lot of the just the visuals are very uh very simple um really rough around the edges in a way where just like ah some of this could be cleaned up like you know I feel like this was a, an intended choice to make just because it looks goofy. But, you know, the dogs, when they're moving around, they don't even animate. Like, their legs don't move or anything. It is just, like, a still solid asset that is the dog. And it just kind of, like, bounces around as a way to actually walk uh, around. Um, what, like they used to walk the characters in South Park back in the day? Yeah, it's basically like that, but in a 3D space. And it's, you know, I do feel like it is probably by design. And it is kind of goofy and charming. But at the same time, it also looks really cheap as well. Um, but it's fine for what it is. You know, it's all kind of quest-based in terms of like, hey, find a dog wearing a hat. Find a dog riding a motorcycle. Take a picture of it. Take a picture using one of the 55 filters that you can pick between. Um, and, you know, after like two hours or so, I was like, okay, I get what this game is and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fine to leave it at that. Um, so, you know, again, Game Pass, I, I don't exactly feel like I've been shortchanged with it, but... Uh, Nothing that I would say is essential to be to be played. It's funny um, you name dropped Tom. That's the exact thing that happened to me with Tom as well. I'm like, this is nice. I get it. I've had enough. Yeah, I, but my issue with Tom is I found some of the kind of objectives were a little bit too uh, obscure about what it wanted me to do, um, and that kind of annoyed me after a while. Um, and the game is just a little bit too slow. But I love the presentation of Tom. I, I think that's a, actually one of the better looking games just in terms of like art direction from last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would certainly pick that over this, at least anyway. Um, but it does have many good dogs. So if a game has a dog, I am going to play it, you know, because we've got to fill out that category come the end of the year. Um, the one other thing I will talk about before we get to Legends, I have in my hands now, I own a Retroid Pocket Plus 2 or 2 Plus. I still don't know the actual naming of it. Um, I had been intending to buy a, a retro emulation device for about the last six months now. But with me and technology, I always have this, I'll wait till the next version comes out. I'll wait until we have like, you know, we're in the next generation because there's always these improvements that come along and you end up never buying anything because you're just always holding off. Um, and with a lot of these devices, you know, there was always like, hey, you know, everything is awesome about it, ah, but the D-pad isn't comfy or uh, the OS isn't that great or the actual installation of it is a nightmare or it doesn't have a touchpad. So there was always something making me just like, oh, just, I'll wait. But there were reviews coming for this new version of the Retro Pocket 2 um, that seemingly fixed a bunch of those issues, which were all the things I just mentioned above. Um, and it has a price point of $99, which is, you know, for what this is offering, I think is insane. Um, after conversion and postage and packaging, I paid €150. Euro. Uh, this device, in theory, I say in theory, plays up to the generation of Dreamcast, GameCube, and PlayStation 2. Now, it can open a lot of games on the GameCube and PlayStation 2. I wouldn't say exactly that it can run them. Um, there are some exceptions. You do have to play around with some of the settings for some of those games. Um, but Dreamcast-wise, it basically it can play anything on the Dreamcast I've thrown at it. So really, anything prior to that that you can find an emulator for and ROMs for, it's going to play that. Um, mm. So I've spent the last week or so, you know, picking and choosing stuff from the Sega Saturn and the Game Boy Advance and 
the PlayStation and um, you know jumping back into to my childhood uh, with some of those titles and ergonomically like it feels really good in your hands to hold um, it's got a 4.3 resolution uh, uh, ratio um, resolution is 480 I believe and um, which is totally fine totally works for like the games that you're going to be playing because they all use the 4 by 3 ratio the only issue that you're running to is if you try to play anything actually from the Android store um, you know because those games you actually you're better off just playing on, on your mobile phone to be honest but it's nice to have the option to actually use like actual controls to play something like Rocket League Sideswipe um, it has the, the shoulder buttons on either side and they feel comfy the D-pad sometimes feels, depending on the game that you're playing, like I'm trying to play the um, the Celeste Classic, the original version of Celeste, and I feel like the analog stick is a little bit too close to the D-pad, so sometimes I'm having to angle my hand around it to play like those kind of twitchier platform style games. Um, but the left analog stick feels fine. The right analog stick is like one of those slider analog sticks, and it's garbage, but like the amount of games that you're going to be actually using that for maybe if you want to set up the the n64 emulator to use the c buttons on that otherwise there's nothing that you're going to really play with it um mm. and then really all it comes down to is just the time that you want to spend into actually setting everything up because there's like two screens really to the flow of this this device there is the home screen that looks like um you know any kind of Android mobile phone, you know, with all the apps and whatnot. And then there's uh, an actual launcher that Retroid has pre-installed, but you can also download other launchers as well. Uh, and the one that Retro the Retroid has pre-installed, it looks like the Switch um, kind of home screen. You can swipe, it's like tile-based and you can swipe between them. And that has, uh, it starts off from like the Game Boy and it goes up to um, like Neo Geo. Um, and everything in between. It doesn't have the Sega platforms on there besides Dreamcast. I don't know why. They are updating it. There was a, a firmware update as soon as I got it. Um, so I know that Retroid are updating this and I'm hoping that it will have those other platforms on there. Um, but the idea is that if you use the actual Retroid launcher, you can go in there. You can uh, decide like, okay, this is the emulator that I want to use if it can detect that you have that emulator on the device. And then you can just load all the games in there. Otherwise, you know, if that isn't working or if the launcher doesn't detect the emulator as long as you have the emulator on your uh, on the home screen you can just go in that way and do it that way but if you can get everything on the launcher it just kind of makes it easier to and a lot cleaner to have everything categorized that way um, but I have had some issues with that where I've been using RetroArch which is this sort of all-in-one emulator service um, but it's not detecting my input on anything that isn't a Nintendo handheld and I've not been able to find a way to fix that so I've been able to use the launcher for like the, the all the handheld stuff, but I've just had to use like the standalone emulators for, for everything else, which is a bit of a pain. So it's not as organized and as clean as I'd like so far. But you know, once you actually jump in and you're playing games, everything runs really well. I've I've maybe had like one or two exceptions here or there. Um, all of the emulators have their own settings and stuff to kind of set up, like if you want to have frame skipping or you know hotkeys for auto saves and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, like there's a bunch of different devices out there that are at different points in terms of price and like what they'll run. But for $99 and the fact that this will play up to Dreamcast games, uh, I'm having a great fucking time with this at the moment. And um, yeah, I've <laughs> I've currently downloaded like every single Game Boy Advance game and every single Game Gear game. And I'm going to go in and find all the really bad games and spend some time with them. And 
you've begun a domino effect of increasing sales for that company. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. I bought one when, when, like, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. Did you? <laughs> you literally mentioned on Twitter, I looked at it, I liked the colour schemes, and I bought one. <laughs> oh, what colour did I you get? I the 16-bit uh, Super Nintendo Bones uh, one. I went orange. Mm. I have, I have oh, the. Uh, I also went orange because me yeah, and Dave are unfortunately the same guy. About ninety percent of the time. Did you cringe immediately when I said I got the orange because you knew? <laughs> I just yeah, I I didn't even need to think about it. I was like yeah, Dave will look at the. Orange well, I would well, definitely so. be contacting Retroid to uh, try and get a cut of their sales then for this because this is ridiculous. Can we get a sponsorship deal for the podcast because within a month now all four of us are gonna have it. Oh my god! Yeah. What I will the- be interested though is. Um, to hear of your stories of like setting up for installation because in theory you can just open it up like once you're past like the initial setup you can just go into the the android store the play store just download a bunch of emulators and you know it's not that difficult to get them set up and and start playing roms but if you want to use the actual launcher um and get stuff set like to be filtered through there there is a little bit more setup to it and i'll be interested to see um if you kind of run into any trouble with that. I kind of enjoy dicking around with that kind of stuff, so I think that'll be part of the fun for me when I get it. Yeah, yeah agreed. I mean, for me, I, I there's a there's a really good guy on, um, on, on YouTube who basically reviews these types of devices, and he had a really good guide um, to basically set up every emulator that you would need to use and through the launcher as well. So, you know, if you do run into trouble, there is help out there for that kind of thing. And there's even like there's a spreadsheet, there's a community run spreadsheet at the moment that's going through all the GameCube games to find out, okay, which ones actually can run. Because, uh, you know, Simpsons hit and run, no bueno. But um, stuff like uh, Star Fox Adventures, that seems to be working okay. Uh, but yeah, like it just it goes through everything for you, which is really cool. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really digging it. And um, there's, there was a, there's a new device that's either on the way called like the Odin, which actually is running PlayStation 2 and GameCube games like flawlessly. Um, but that's uh, that's around about like 250 quid, so it's a little bit pricier. But I'm looking at that now thinking, huh, hmm, maybe, maybe, we'll see. So yeah. I, uh, I was so tempted by the analog pocket because I still have loads of my old Game Boy, yeah. Game Boy Advance, everything like that games, which... I'm getting no use out of, um, but I saw that it wouldn't ship until at least 2023, and then that immediately put me off. Well, yeah, that was that was the thing that kind of set the snow, snowball run, rolling for me is because I wanted to get the analog pocket as well, but I was like, yeah. well, a I don't actually have any cartridges, and while like yeah. that screen, like it, the form factor when it looks fucking delicious, I was like, I don't really want to pay 250 quid and then more to get the actual games for it. So at that point, yeah. it's like, all right, let's just fucking get one of these devices and yeah. be done with it. I literally, I have, um, just like before I even got this, I just have on my drive a folder that has 1,600 Game Boy games uh, in ROM form and probably an almost equal amount of Game Boy Advance games as well. So I'm just like, well... Nintendo are going to break down your door any day now. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? All I can Gary Bowser over there. All I really want, I just want to be able to play, like... The Game Boy, uh, Pokemon, and Zelda games again. They're, those are the main ones. Like, there's obviously other stuff I really do from the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, like Advance Wars, um, like uh, Wario Land, things like that. So all that other stuff. But like, you know, your main thing is gonna be like just playing 
Pokemon Gold and Silver or Red and Blue again or playing six golden coins. I, I can yeah, confirm man. for you that the Virtual Pocket will definitely play all of these games. Yeah. yeah. So the f- I, I won't be like when you said, oh yeah, no, it does PS1. I was like, Mark, I'm not interested in that. I said to you, <laughs> I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like I have no emotional investment whatsoever in the PS1 because I didn't have one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I still have my N64 and pretty much all the games I would ever want to play on that. And the ones that look like shit are on the um rare replay but, but collection also, like emulation with the n64 is a nightmare because there's no control scheme that you can get set up that works like the way that that original n64 controller does mark mark does it you're you're giving fuel to sean mcgee oh i, just I, I whatever he's not listening to this <laughs> um yeah so, he's not on it he's not listening exactly i will say <laughs> the first game that i launched to see like how this thing would run uh was a ds game and it was the sonic rpg the dark chronicles uh which i feel like i'm one of about three people that played that fucking thing back in the day um, <laughs> i def- thought you were gonna say you're the third ever person to play it now. that as well yeah. I was going to say, you're definitely one of one people who have uh, gone to the trouble of what, of playing it originally and then playing an emulated version of it as well. Uh, uh, what can I say? I'm a maverick. Um, yeah, I, I guess we should now move on and um, now spend another 20 minutes talking about Pokemon Legends. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess... Uh, I'm going to give the three of you boys the floor on this one. Uh, I will say if we're in Pokemon Corner at the moment, perhaps controversially, and it has contributed to my want to just go back to the old ones, is uh, a few weeks ago I did finally cave. Uh, it was actually just before Christmas and got um, Brilliant Diamond uh, on Switch. And uh, I don't like it. Gen 4 is <laughs> bad. Thank you for coming yeah. around to my side that Gen 4 is bad until Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is a better game than Gen 4 has ever been. I, I can't wait for you yeah. to lose this cartridge in two weeks' time uh, and then not just give no, up. It's a, it's a, it. Mark, it's already traded. <laughs> oh. It's gone. It's gone. Got about halfway through it yeah. and I was like, I'm actually having to force myself to play my way through this game, and I don't have that. I I, I don't have the kind of time to do that anymore. I, I played a couple of hours of it, and I just went and I I just downloaded it. You know, um, I was like, I'm um, not really enjoying my my loadout here of like the Pokemon all of the that Pokemon suck. They on. all it's just Zubats yeah. everywhere. It's like for the love of God, yeah. give me something interesting, you stupid video game. Did you not get into the underground section where you can actually hunt decent Pokemon? Then? You can, but by that point, I just didn't care anymore. Yeah, it had already beaten that. And the competitions and the stickers on the po Ah, no, fuck off. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just got rid of that. Um, out of my life. Um, so that's my Pokemon update. And without further ado, I will hand over to you gentlemen on Arceus. Uh, I'm going to go refill my drink while that while this happens because I have literally nothing to contribute to this conversation because in sp- I, I will set up your discussion with this. I have been seeing reviews and seeing takes on this game since the day it came out and I have no fucking idea if it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Without further ado, I'll hand over to, I guess, Mark, would you like to moderate well, this discussion? Well, what I will just do is let's just get the one, let's get the big thing out of the way straight away and let's just get the graphics discussion done and dusted and then we can get onto everything else because it is the one big point of contention and, you know, I, I've seen every take under the sun about the graphics. I simply just sit on there. Yeah, it probably could have been bit, a bit better, but, you know, my enjoyment of this game is not lost on the fact that sometimes the rocks are a little bit too reflective and I don't know why the fuck they are but they are I'm sure they'll get patched out 
whatever. Yes, sometimes the birds are flying with three three frames of animation. Only when they're I'm in sure the distance, to be fair. Yeah. It, you know, it's yes, it has some issues that could they could have spent more time on that. I don't really care for the most part. Yeah. No, I don't give a shit either. Like, uh, when have when have Pokemon ever tried to wow you with visuals at any stage? Let me know that this is Game Freak's third HD game that they've ever made in the history of the studio. There's Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. There's Sword and Shield, and there's this. So this is this studio's third game in high definition. They have no experience making HD games. And the three of them are all Sonic leaps up from the previous one as well, I would say. They're getting there, and they'll get there over time. You know, like, in fairness, a lot of the the, uh, the kind of mountainous regions sometimes just look like the one texture that's been stretched out really far. Um, it looks bad again, in a weird way, doesn't it? It's not like it, it's dropping... It, like, it's not a performance issue. It does feel like no. it's a, just a texture design issue. Yeah, it's it's yeah. all purely like artistic in terms of the issues, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they just look like they just cheaped out on a lot. They and spent all the money on the Bidoof the... models and didn't spend anything on the environment. Yeah. But you can tell they spent most of the time kind of crafting how the game would work and everything would be in the wild and all of the new concepts and features. And then one day they were like, "Oh yeah, we should probably do some." textures and i think it's, it's uh, worth saying uh, this game can look really good like yeah i think the can. sky boxes yeah. in this game are absolutely gorgeous and it's weird because I, I saw the trailers and i'm like i'm not sure about these skies they look a little weird and then seeing them in the actual game it's like oh these are so nice to look at it actually makes up for the fact that the game is occasionally hideous to look at i i do think that a lot of this just comes down to the fact that everyone was making oh, sorry about that um, I, I do think a lot of this just comes down to the fact that um, so many people are saying, oh, it's a bit like Breath of the Wild. And obviously this game does not look like Breath of the Wild, but also I don't think this game really actually is like Breath of the Wild at all, other than the fact that it's a bit open world and you can kind of climb up some rocks sometimes. I, I, I think the Breath of the Wild comparisons are a little bit um, overblown. And yeah, obviously this game looks nowhere near to the level that Breath of the Wild does, and very few no. games do, and there's a specific art direction that game has. But at the same time, Breath of the Wild is not a perfect game and actually has some severe performance issues at times whenever you run across a blade of grass. So... You know, it's. I, I I just. Yeah, there could have been specific art choices they made. They could have brought in people that could do this kind of thing. As you guys mentioned, it is their third HD game. I'm sure, again, a lot of this will get patched out. And, you know, if they make an Arceus 2, a lot of this will get improved upon. My biggest thing is I just think that some of the rocks just look really weird and I don't know why they look as reflective and as purple as it's they It's very strange. I kind of love how weird it is. And like I, I bumped on it less as I got further into the game. Maybe it's less prevalent in the later areas or maybe I just got used to it. I don't know. But yeah, there's no getting around the fact that there will be times where you look at this game and like, my God, how did what, what's even happening? But also the, yeah. there is times where you look at this game and it's like, God, this is kind of stunning. Yeah, no. I, I think, like, the vistas, particularly, like, the sort of dusky time of night, like, just before it gets super oh, dark. I, I find the other side as well, just uh, at dawn as well. Yeah, you can sort of stand on a cliff or whatever and, like, look out into the wilderness and there might be, like, a Gyarados flying through the air or or something like that. And it just, it, it looks incredible in those moments. There's, it, occasionally it peeks through and I guess it's more frustrating in the sense that you know what... You know, were, were were it given to a studio who had design experience making games that looked like this, they could have made this that much better. So there's sort of 
the direction of the game I really like and and the way that they've made it look and the way they present everything, it's just the assets that are the bad parts. And I guess maybe could they have invested more money in it? Possibly, but it again, it doesn't matter. And I got used to the purple rocks. <laughs> I kind of feel like they have a sort of ethereal magical quality to them, which which kind of sums up the fact that even in what is like a, a bygone age, you are still throwing balls that trap pokemon magically inside and then shoot fireworks out of the i top. love the fact that they're just like we've discovered that we can shrink pokemon down into these balls and there's like we're not going to explain it any further than that <laughs> yeah why would you who gives yeah. a shit about the science i am um, <laughs> the fact that this, you started the game as well and for the first sort of five to ten minutes i was like wait a minute have i traveled through time and then they don't really explain that too well in the rest of the game like i think garrett you said you were i think on twitter you said you were getting close to finishing it i, I i'm nowhere near finishing it because i'm just dicking about to be honest I, I, i've probably spent like how maybe, unlike you in a pokemon game jack yeah just 20 20 or so hours and I, I, i've done like one of the major sort of boss battle style things mark have you done one of those uh or? i i did cleaver last night i'm about four to five yeah. hours in and yeah i did cleaver last night what do you guys think of the the boss battle mechanic? Because I, I, I really enjoy uh, it. As someone who's finished the game and done some of the post-game content, I'm legitimately surprised at how complex they are. Not not in the sense that they're like Dark Souls-level bosses, even though that's kind of like the, the immediate analogous thing you'll think about. Like, they're not... Everything is now a Dark Souls game or a fucking Breath of the Wild yeah, game. And th- that's, this that's is just it. Dark Souls Breath of the Wild. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're not... You would think, like, Pokemon doing, like, 3D boss battles where it's like you have iframes dodging Pokemon attacks in, like, combos and sequences. You would think they would make it as simple and straightforward as they can because, like it's pokemon this game is aimed at 10 year olds at the end of the day and like some of the later ones are like legitimately complex you will die a few times to these like these bosses and i'm i was so surprised that they are actual real boss fights and not just like you know you dodge and then you hit them yeah yeah exactly i think the the ones i've done have been relatively easy to dodge so far but i'm i'm told like when you eventually you know i i i think it's probably not a spoiler alert to con- consider that at some point you're probably going to face down with uh, with Arceus or Arceus, right? Um, I've told that that is one of the most bastard hard things that anyone's done in video games in the last year or two. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I don't know if, Garrett, have you approached a point where you've encountered Arceus? No, I've done pretty much everything up until then. My quest now is go to do the things you need to do to get Arceus, which, by the way, there's a, yeah. a trainer battle and a subsequent boss fight after that. Kind of a boss. It's not the that that kind of boss fight. It's a alpha Pokemon kind of thing. There that that at the end yeah. of the game in the post game, that is the hardest Pokemon trainer I think I fought since like Cynthia. And I was a child wow. when I fought Cynthia, and so like <laughs> that wasn't even that hard really. It was just me oh, being shit. a child. Like I I lost to this dude like six times before I beat it. That doesn't happen to me in Pokemon games. Pokemon games are never that hard. They're just like run throughs once you, because you tend to over level. I've been finding it hard to over level in this game though. I almost does the environment adapt to the level you are with the Pokemon that it puts out there in some of it, or is the game is there like some sort of like, you know, graded leveling? I'm yeah, not sure. Like the strength or, of the wild Pokemon and the alpha Pokemon in particular, like varies wildly. Like you could have a twenty level level advantage, it would slap you with like a quick attack and take away like fifty health. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the the strong and agile style thing is is an interesting balance as well because 
sometimes you think, right, well, I'm just going to pummel this. You know, that you, you would put your energy into a strong style when you know you've got the type advantage um, and you've got that stab element. Whereas if you don't have that, you almost want to make sure that you're kind of taking a little bit of your edge off your attacks with the, the um, agile style so you can get more in and potentially create a gap to throw a Pokeball if it's a Pokemon you're trying to, um, like, catch or collect. I love the alpha Pokemon. I think that is a really cool feature. And they're, they're always tough. They're, like, even right the way through to the end game, like, an alpha Pokemon can just kick your ass. Yeah, I, uh, I, I tried trifling with that alpha Snorlax early oh, in the Jesus. game. and, and <laughs> I, I saw him and I just turned around and I was like, nope. It hit me with a superpower like two, two, three times and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to run away here. And because it's a Snorlax, I managed to get away kind of scot-free anyway. I, I saw, but, uh, uh, there was a tweet I saw that like the best thing that Game Freak have done with Pokemon in the last 10 years is just make the Pokemon big. Mm. Yeah. There's no Whale Lord in this game, um, though, I don't think, which is quite disappointing. That's my next question. Well, I was going to be like, Gara, have you encountered a Whale Lord? Because I, I need to there's, see there's that. Because there's a Whale Lord in the Sword the and the Shield DLC and it's like, oh, look at it, it's so big. Yeah. I know, right? The the main contributory factor to the final Jack Lizelle review score is a scale of Waylord. But like, <laughs> I, I think actually, I was going to ask the question, or we should kind of actually try and explain what the fuck this actual game is. But the other thing I just wanted to kind of bring up as well is, yeah, that I still really have no which idea. Which is kind what of I honestly, really... it's kind of the magic that like yeah. I think everybody had no idea what really this game was. But what I really like about this game more than anything else is just that they they really treat it as like, hey. These are just Pokemon that are actually out in the wild and they will fuck you up, you know, because you've never really had that before. It's always just been like, hey, if you encounter a Pokemon, it's your Pokemon against that Pokemon. But I, now I, I do enjoy the the multiple screenshots I've seen from the game of characters going, yeah, you're going to fucking die out there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing as well. It's so many times it's like, yeah, well, like, uh, so if you don't do this task, then we're just going to leave you out in the wild and you will probably and die. And it's not even task. So it's the tutorial mission. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, fail yeah. this yeah. tutorial mission, we're sending you to your death. <laughs> Yeah, they're really suspicious of you at first. They're like, yeah, you, you can't sleep. We're not giving you accommodation in this town child who's just fallen out of the sky. So, but, uh, so yeah, what what is this game then? Because it's not Breath of the Wild, all right? I'm just putting that out there right away. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to make a direct comparison because the other thing people were saying is like, oh, it's Monster Hunter because it's not open world. It's five segmented areas. It, it's large sandboxes rather than open worlds. And it's it's not really Monster Hunter either other than that comparison of like you accept missions and then go out and complete the missions, which is most video games these days so it's not yeah, even yeah, like yeah. monster hunter isn't the great comparison but it's its own thing it's like it's a combination of things that becomes its own thing and honestly like the the thing that comes to my mind it's like pokemon go <laughs> except yeah i was i i was gonna say that it is very similar to pokemon go in that you almost rewarded for catching multiple types of the same species so you can kind of bump, bump out those uh pokedex objectives and get to the level 10 so you kind of have your pokemon registered in the pokedex the collection the the gotta catch a more collection element of the game is more prevalent than i think it is in any other game i don't think this one's about training your pokemon and, and raising them to fight as much as it is about making sure that you're um filling out the pages and sort of developing your pokedex to try and rank your level up and stuff i think i'm up to like four or five stars at this point 
Um, and again, I've only reached like the second area, I think. So I've, I've been doing a lot of grinding on it. And I'm really enjoying getting the little sections of Pokedex filled out to, to get to my level 10s. Um, I don't know, Garrett, has that become tiresome for you? Or are you still in that element? Or is that something you've not really been paying as much attention uh, you to? You see, I, I, I really like the game because of this. But I, I haven't been paying much attention to it. Like, I, there's a thing where you can lock onto a Pokemon and then check its like Pokedex tasks you have to do to get it up the, le- the research level you want. And, like, I just never did that. Like, I just caught the Pokemon in certain circumstances. I battled the Pokemon. And I filled out the Pokedex for a lot of Pokemon just that way without, like, actively trying. Without actively being like, all right, this is what I have to do for this one. And this is what I have to do for that one. I just kind of, like... Yeah, just having them in your team as well yeah, will do that to be honest, well. like, with most Pokemon, it's like, as long as you catch a bunch of them and kill a bunch of them, that will probably get you up to or close to where you need to be to complete it. And I, I do appreciate the fact that... They give you, you know, like seven or eight different um, objectives that you need to do, but it doesn't require you to fill out all of them. Because if it had done that, I would have probably been like, there is no fucking way that I'm ever going to fill this decks out. So I do appreciate that they say you only actually need to fill out a couple of these to to get where you need to to have this as yeah. a completed entry. And you can. It, it's a good job Nintendo doesn't have their own version of like trophies. So kind of similar oh, Jesus, to what yeah. PlayStation and yeah. Xbox have, because there would absolutely be one that would be like make we'll sure fill you out the level yeah level 10 every pokemon's page or or even worse complete every single that would be the platinum objective yeah. and uh, i like yeah, that it that lets you like good. just grind one of them you know it's like if you just want to catch them you can catch one and then it's like well, well now catch three and you catch three and it's like well now catch six and like if you want to play the game that way if you just want to get the objectives by just running around catching paris a ton it's like you can do it yeah. yeah, but it, it, it it's smart in the sense that because, you know, the, the Pokemon Go comparison is probably the best example to make because if they didn't have this and it was like, you know, like if you play a, a mainline Pokemon game, for the most part, you catch, you know, a, a clink and you're only going to catch that one and that's it and you're never going to think about it again. But with this, you know, there is that incentive to keep catching them in the way that you would with a Pokemon Go and that adds like so much more replay value within that you know just that cycle of playing the game you know within the first four or five hours kind of like similar to jack i've just been in that one area um just going over the same routes and catching a lot of the same pokemon just you know for the purpose of filling out the decks but it is kind of grindy but i guess in the the small comparison that i'd make to a breath of the wild where you know you can kind of stumble across something that you didn't before and then like oh right now i've got like this giant paraset that i've just stumbled across that's now absolutely wrecking me and now i need to get the hell out of here um and you know like i it, within that first area every time i go back to it i'll find like a new part that i didn't know before um, I will say the one thing that is a bit of a pain, and I asked this, but no one responded, alas, is like, I wish the game would, unless it does this later on, would kind of give you a clear indication that, like, hey, you've been here, you've caught this kind of Pokemon, this is where you can find it, um, instead of just you having to remember, like, because, like, I think one of the, the Pokemon I wanted to fill out the decks for, but I couldn't remember specifically where I'd seen it before, and I had to run around, and it would be nice if, like, it would just, in some way let me know either in a description or in the map or something just to say hey go here to find I that i think it does in the pokedex i mean i don't want to be 100 percent on that because i'm not sure um but i think it does tell you because again again because i've only been in two areas so far i kind of have a pretty good idea of where to get everything that i've had so far it tends to have stuck in my head but um i think it's in the pokedex it will tell you kind of where you caught it or what habitat it's most likely to be you gotta start using your map markers mark 
Yeah. That as well. I guess I could also use that as well. I just use it to pin wherever the, the quest that, like, hey, go find me a Geodude. Cool, sure, whatever. All right. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple of those quests, the side quests, that are really difficult as well, early game. There's one where I, ha- I think you have a fill out the Pokemon page, um, Pokedex page for, for Cherim. And I've yet to find Same. a Cherubi. I the, the one of those that annoyed me the most. I found a Cherubi. <laughs> the one that annoys me the most is one is like, hey, uh, craft me this poker doll that requires three pieces of wood. And somehow in an entire forest, I could not find three fucking pieces of wood. <laughs> is that a metaphor for life? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Just walking through a forest, can't find the wood. Um, yeah, I, I haven't got those pieces of wood yet, but I'm kind of like, I'm less annoyed about that one because collecting wood, I could care less. But I do want to find a Cherubi because they're usually in trees, but every tree I have has a Burmy in it. And I, I, I get sick of seeing Burmies at this point. I see a shaking tree. I'm like, oh, maybe there's a Cherubi in that. Nope. Every time. It's Sometimes it might so, be yeah. a Wormadon. Oh, there is that. Yeah, but I <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a fucking prick. Burmy, how, isn't it, like, really? I suppose this is like for Garrett specifically, but how um big has the Pokedex got for you? Like how how many Pokemon have you seen so far? Because I have no idea like how many Pokemon are actually in this game. I, I've never looked at it to, to see. I, I'm on, I think it's like 180. I think there's like 260 in the game. Okay. Which I, I will say, I think some of the areas could have done with a few more Pokemon. I mentioned Paris. Like, there's too many Paris in this game. I see Paris in way too many areas. But a, a very important thing to say, I think catching Pokemon, like the act of catching Pokemon in this game is really fun. Like, yeah. the, the rolling around, the stealth mechanics, the, the different kinds of Pokeballs, where you have, like, the, the obviously the Pokeballs, Great Balls, Ultra Balls, but then you have, like, Heavy Balls and different variations of that, or if you get closer and you throw that Pokeball without the Pokemon seeing you, you have a higher catch rate. There's also later, there's, uh, I think they're called Feather Balls and Wing Balls, which you can just chuck from an enormous distance and they fly across the map. It's great fun. So... The feather ball. Yeah, you can sick. just hurl it. That like there so was a, a, a late game kind of legendary fight where it, it's kind of part catching, part um, the um, crazy Pokemon thing, the, the Dark Souls boss battle. And the thing is, you're meant to get close, but it keeps on trying to dodge you. So I just stood back and hooked a bunch of feather balls at it until it stayed in the Pokeball. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I just love yeah, the, the stealth element. Because you kind of get to an area where there's loads of Pokemon. I always kind of see it as like, you know, um, if you're playing like a Far Cry or any of those UB games where there's loads of bases for you to clear out. You know, I would clear out an entire area of Pokemon and try and not be seen in the same way that I would try and clear out a base in Far Cry without anybody seeing me and raising the alarm. Because sometimes when you get seen, like there's an early game area where there's loads of like Drift Blim and Drift Loom. And if one of them catches you, you tend to get a situation where there's like four or five of them swarming on you. And the way this game works is if you get caught in a fight with them, you're fighting four of them. You're not fighting one of them. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that it does that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like, I I don't know if it's just me, but my brain is absolutely convinced that the crouch and the dash button are the other way around. And I've had so many times where I've wanted to crouch into the grass and just dived headfirst into a geodude. I have that problem with map and menu. (laughs) I keep hitting the map button to open the menu and the menu or the, and the I have also done that as well. Yeah. I just wish everything was on one menu and you could select your your Pokemon or your items like cuz everything's kind of separated out like you've got your task menu, a map menu, your, your bag and stuff. I just wish that was all uh, under the same By the thing. way, another thing I I hated about Diamond <laughs> is that stupid like R button menu just like 
I, I think that had more charm to it when you was actually playing it on a when, on when a it was on a lower screen and it wasn't just in the, on the screen uh, annoying you. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I honestly like not to go off on a massive tangent here, but I think the gen 4 is where like they were like hey we've kind of run out of ideas for how to make this kind of core we've done everything we can do with this core gameplay let's start padding stuff out and yeah it, it didn't work but that's a conversation for another day um i like gen 4 i just want to throw that out there it's been a lot of gen 4 slander here i, I enjoy worst, gen 4. actually no second worst yeah but but Hang I'm on a second. Pr- if you want to talk about the legendaries palkia and dialga are fucking awesome and so is giratina they are amazing legendary Pokemon. They are super strong I'm, in the game and super strong in Pokemon Go as well. So yeah, I'm pretty like- sure, Jack. Though you could find out that it was a Pokemon game that stole your phone that time, and also it was a Pokemon game that was the miserable customer service you got replacing said phone, and still give it a good review. <laughs> yeah, four stars. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, uh, I I remember even saying to Mark when I met him for food last weekend, I was like, level with me. Is this Pokemon game any good? Because uh, like the Jack review is going to add a star and a half that I probably wouldn't myself. <laughs> Dave Meltzer reviews ladder matches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that is me. Um, but this one's a difficult, difficult uh, or different oh, one get, to review. Oh, he'd give it five stars if it was in Kanto. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, oh, I mean, I'd love... Th- I'm... I think I've just how do they do they do they keep down this path now? Do, is this a blueprint for what they carry on doing in the future if they yeah, change it? Because like, if they if they made another game like this and they refine some of the things that maybe are a little bit clunky and they make it look a little bit better and feel just a little I'm, bit better. Oh can I say God. I'm kind of over the chibi art style as well? Like I, in the in the the diamond. There is none of it in this by, one, Dave. You're fine. There's no yeah, chibi in Pokemon yeah, Legends. This is this is more the the modern um, looking character it, it designs. Is, it is the the interesting questions. Like, yeah, where do they go next after this? Because I don't see this as like where the the path they'll continue down. I see this as like this is this weird kind of sidestep that they decided to take because they were flush with cash with Pokemon Go that they could take the risk of doing this and. By the looks of it, this risk has paid off for them. Six so and a half million ins- copies in the first week. Definitely an incentive to keep making these games. I, it, but it is like, I, I don't even think it's so much to do with like how successful this game was. It's more to do with like, what the fuck do you even do with that mainline series at this point? You know, you're up to a thousand Pokemon now. Everyone was losing their minds about the fact that you couldn't catch them all in the last one. You know, I don't know what the hell what a new mainline Pokemon game looks like. I, I think this was the smartest thing that they could do to make another Pokemon game, an original Pokemon game, that completely reinvents the formula. I'm, I don't think this is how it will be going forward. I do think this will be like a, a side series of games. Um, but so far for me, at least, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad that they've done it, even with the, you know, the minor issues with graphics. And, you know, sometimes the areas are a little bit too, too barren. You know, sometimes it would be nice to have just areas a little bit more... I wish some of the areas, and you know, this is early on, so I, I can't speak for later on, but it does really feel like, okay, this part of this land is designated for this specific Pokemon. This part of this land is designated for this specific Pokemon. Sometimes I li- wish there was a little bit more kind of like 
cross correlation between them. Um, I, I think again, they do that as a design choice, though, because I think it would be more frustrating if you had to go from like a Paris here to a Paris two miles down the road if you're just trying to fill out the Paris section of the Pokedex. So, uh, yeah, which is what like playing Pokemon Go is like if you're in the countryside. Yeah, so basically. I think that they, they made that decision to be like, all right, this is the Paris area. So if you want to do Paris, you can just come over here and catch all the Paris. I think you can still do it in a way where you have, you know, like a random Pokemon will show up within a bunch of other Pokemon, you know, not like it still has its kind of designated area. But that does happen. It does happen. Okay. Um, it hasn't yeah, you get yet, like these, but... you get like these raid scenarios, um, Garrett, where like you, you see a, a Pokemon icon on the map will turn up somewhere and you go there and there's like wave after wave of that Pokemon. Um, and uh, I've not got a shiny yet, but apparently that is the best way to shiny hunt where you have oh. these. Are they called swarms in the game? I yeah, think? swarms, and then like they that. have the um. They also have a zone where a bunch of Pokemon show up. The time space distortion areas where. It, oh, I have not had a distortion. A bunch of yet. I have three shinies, by the way. There is one scripted shiny in the game. I won't spoil that for people. Yeah, I got the, that. I, I've only got this. And then one. I have a shiny Psyduck and a shiny Gumi as well, which I found. Oh, by the way, how good is the shiny Psyduck? I just I, the, the the light blue color is really satisfying on the side. It does make the gold mind. look pretty look Not pretty too. boring though. God, maybe Dave's right. If I'm if I'm marking out over a blue side arc, then maybe there is something wrong. <laughs> I'm uh, not to cut the love in short, but we are at two hours uh, without having talked about the news. Can I do yet. like a list right. of things Fine. I like about Pokemon that they've changed really quickly? Go. Go on, okay, hit us. the fact that you can choose on your Pokemon to evolve now, great touch. Like it just gets to the level yeah, and you can just be yeah. evolved or not. Great. It's such a it's so weird that that is in there, but it makes so much sense to have the it. The fact that your Pokemon just learn moves and then you can just choose them. You you don't need to have like go to a move tutor and give them an item and then all that shite. That's gone. The fact that you can switch your lead Pokemon with the touch yes. of a button on the map is just so nice. You don't have to go into a menu. You can just be like I want my Typhlosion in front. Yay. Um uh, what what else do I love about? It? I like the, the the fact that the battling system I like the the new uh, additions to that. I the traversal in this game is better than 95% of open world games especially when you get to the end and you have all of the ride pokemon which I think they've shown them all in trailers anyway so you have the land pokemon you have the water pokemon you have the flying pokemon and what's really cool is like if you're riding the weird deer and you jump off a cliff you can just press a button to switch the flying pokemon immediately and if if you jump if you jump into water on the weird deer it just switches to the basculin equivalent it's like it's so seamless i i'm shocked the game freak of all people made an open world game <laughs> where like traversal is better than most open world games it's so good uh and just to go back to the, the point about where they go from here like the most exciting thing for me i love this i think this game is like sneakily one of the best pokemon games it's so much fun but my my thought after this is like I can't wait for the next one of these where like they do iron out some of the issues and they do build on the foundation that is this game. I think it's really neat. I think they've made so many like small... T oh, evolving Pokemon that used to evolve via trade, you can just use an item now. If you want to evolve a Haunter into a Gengar, you can trade it. It still works that way. But also there's just an item that evolves a Haunter into a Gengar. They've removed so mm -hmm. many of those like layers of friction that have just built up as like conventions of the series. And like you do have to forget some of what you've learned about Pokemon when you're battling because like the way sleep works in this game is not how sleep used to work. Yeah. I'm still not adjusted to that And it's yet. weird, because, like, one of the Pokemon I was battling fell asleep, and I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. And then it attacked me. And I was like, what the hell? That's not how Pokemon games work. 
<laughs> Damn you, Pokemon. This isn't how Pokemon works. Um, I like the fact that it's just one oh, game yeah, as well. Great. Yeah, like I don't have to go and buy the, you know, Power Diamond. I, I can just buy Legends of Arceus. And that's that's what they've needed to do for a long time. They just need to make it. Okay, yep, Legends of Arceus. You can just catch all the Pokemon Good. that are in, in the game, in the game you yeah, bought. That's, yeah, that's the thing. You can hun- 100% the Pokedex of Legends of Arceus by just owning Legends of Arceus. That is mm. brilliant. Never been done before in a Pokemon game. Even even going back to Red and Blue, you can do that. Um, and I think that is, it gives you that sense of achievement. You know, of something that you don't have to wait for your mate or spend thirty or forty quid just to you know trade a fucking Nidorino <laughs> over for your Nidorino. For Nidorino, you know, it just seems like a waste. One of time. very last thing before Dave desperately wants to move us on. Uh, me. Oh yeah, I mean, if David played it, we'd be we'd be doing three hours on this, but he's just furious because he doesn't get to say anything. Unless I was having another brilliant diamond moment, I was like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, Dave's like, yeah, you should. What you should have done is portioned out all your horrible takes on brilliant diamond shine, and just every now and then, just going, you know what, fucking sucks. The R button map. Anyway, yeah. Back to uh, music. Music in this game is so good. Oh my god, that was damn it. That was going to be my final <laughs> final point. Yeah, the music is incredible. It really is. Like, there are moments where I just... I've, I've got to a point where the music is so good that I've just stopped and listened to it because it is that good. Like, the Jubilife music, the, the the village that you're in, I could just listen to that all day. It's so ridiculously soothing. Um, Gary, you posted the music in, like, the night time, which is just in, it's so beautiful. Like, the little synth hits and effects in the background, like a nice little bobbling kind of sound. Um, when it needs to be grandiose and big, like in those boss battles, it is. But when it, when it's just stripped back and you're in the environment, it just does such a good job of atmospherically giving you an underpinning and, and setting a tone and feel for the area that you're in. It's, it's the best music in a Pokemon game ever. I would say. I don't. I don't think there's ever been better music in a Pokemon game than this. Admittedly, lots of them were on like Game Boy and stuff, so there was limited in what they could put out. But I don't think it's ever been. And better I really appreciate this. how like they incorporate the themes of Diamond and Pearl, the music from those games, into the game. So yeah. like, there's the, all the place names other than Jubilee Village are, are different than what they were in the game that we know. But when you're in the equivalent of like Eterna Forest from Diamond and Pearl, they just sprinkle in the Eterna Forest theme, a little remix of it. And it's lovely to be like, you have that little like musical muscle memory of it's like, oh, now I know where I am in this like Sinnoh world, equivalent to where I used to be in like the, the old one. Dave's just getting mad because it reminds him of brilliant, <laughs> brilliant Diamond and Giant I had to flip this goddamn desk. It's like I was absolutely loving this game until I had to listen to that shit again. Yeah, I, I think this game rocks. <laughs> I think they nailed it as much as you could possibly hope they'd nail it, knowing that Game Freak... Like, everyone was kind of trepidatious going into this, and I think everything they tried to do, like, from a mechanics and system standpoint, they kind of nailed. Yeah. 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 Surprisingly so, but they did it. All right. Um, let's move us on to the news and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to move on here is that there is a breaking news story Uh, much as I pulled Jack into an aside to have a very brief Away Goals podcast Jack I'm also going to pull you aside to have a very brief popcorn social right now because I just want your live reaction to this Uh, Jack it has been announced this evening that there is to be a sequel to the movie that I know you have been out there wanting a goddamn sequel to for many years. Do you know what that movie is, Jack? Please be gone in 60 seconds. Please be gone in 60 seconds. Not quite. Oh, my God. 
We're getting a sequel to The Meg. Oh, yes. That is exactly the show I want to hear. It is called Meg 2 The Trench. And (laughs) the Stath is returning as whatever shark-punching character he was called in that. Uh, And here's the swerve. The reason I really wanted to mention it on the podcast, because this will be the the funniest reaction of, of the lot for you. It's being directed by Ben Wheatley. <laughs> Why? Of Field in England, High Rise and Kill List fame. That is bizarre. I thought you were going to say they got like Robert De Niro to play the shark or something. Oh, I thought you were going to so, say Danny Dyer, to be honest. So do you want to just give that the five stars now and we'll move yep. on? Yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, I, I I'm sure it will be everything I want it to be. Assuming yeah. that there's so there were what two two Megs in the original Meg. Yeah. How many giant fucking sharks are gonna be? What in if the Meg, the Meg was a Sharpedo? Oh, I mean, that was the best thing about the Pokemon Sword and Shield DLC oh, was how fast it. those Sharpedos <laughs> were. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Moving on qu- swiftly. Um, yeah, so uh, the Meg 2 coming soon. Um, oh, yeah. Right, first news story of the week. In more God It's Grim, how everything is going to be owned by four companies in no time uh, news. Uh, we uh, logged on one evening this week to find out that Bungie, uh, makers of Destiny, have been bought by Sony. Um, for your immediate reaction to this, because uh, I can see how just bleh you are about this whole situation, Mark. Well, <laughs> I love that you had started speaking before I even knew. Before you even I know, knew I, I know. The, the thing with this is, I I, I can't remember who um, uh, detailed it, but you know, Sony are going to be planning to make a whole bunch of live action, uh, not live action, um, live games as a live service type titles, and. Whether it was that or whether it was just a case of, hey, we'll get more bun- uh, more Destiny or a new Destiny. Like, either way, this acquisition really, like, is, is a zero-sum gain for me in the same way that Microsoft purchasing Activision was, for the most part. Um, but, you know... If, uh, if they had said, we're purchasing Bungie and they're just going to make a no-fuck-about shooter that uh, has, like, substantial single-player shit in it, sure. I'd be all yeah, for all, it. Yeah, all for it, absolutely. But, like, hey, if we're going to get, like, a games-as-a-live-service racing game and a games-as-a-live-service shooting game and a bowling game and whatever else, I just... I don't care. It's not for me. So, you know, it makes sense. It is a smart acquisition to make. Um, it does... Uh, well, I say it rounds off what has been a crazy month, but yeah, God knows what we're going to get next. But you know what? Out of all of this, I like to think that at least IOI will be sitting there in a the corner making the Hitman games and no one's going to try and buy them. But you know what? Probably um, will happen as well. Yeah, it was interesting. I'll move to you next, Garrett. It was interesting to hear that... Um, the Jason Shriers of the world hinting is like, this is not the last nor the wildest one of these you're going to see uh, for the remainder of 2022. It's funny, we named like every company under the sun that could be bought on like the last episode of the show, and we didn't name Bungie, which is, of all the companies yeah. we named. Yeah. And it, uh, the, the one I worry most about is Square Enix. Because like Sony's a Japanese yeah. company, so Sony buying another Japanese company is most likely... And there's people who root for that. And I'm like, no, Square Enix makes a bunch of small, cool games for other platforms. And I don't want them to stop making those. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate it. I just hate I hate that people are rooting for it. That's what really drives me nuts. The, 
The only one that I could totally get people rooting for, as unlikely as it is to happen, is Nintendo buying yeah. Konami. <laughs> um, because like Konami don't make fucking games anymore, so there's no fear of them making any less than no games. Because at least like as as Mark mentioned, like for Bungie and Activision. Like, I don't play those games for the most part. I don't care, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Wherever they land, yeah. I don't really care. If, if, if they start buying up yeah. studios that make games I care about and want to play, and then I, I'll start getting very, very worried. Mm. Who owns Roblox? It's just some... It's, it's, just, it's like Roblox yeah. Inc. They're their own thing. Yeah. Like, that would be a big purchase if someone no, Yeah, but no one's it. going to buy Roblox. Like, Roblox, if they wanted to, could buy whatever they wanted but no one's buying them they could buy anything they wanted they pretty much could buy anything they wanted could they buy point. you like, they could definitely well no they, they, I'm not for sale no I one's mean, buying yeah. me out I would like to say if Roblox would like to pay a lot of money to gain the intellectual property of me I would be fine with that <laughs> what's your asking price oh it, it would disgust you a ham cheap. sandwich <laughs> it would disgust you know we all go ham sandwich but it won't be like I'm not holding out for fuck you bungee money how about a mid-sized dog yeah by the way Roblox is currently worth 68 billion dollars by itself and all they do is make one thing yeah yeah, Jesus. They, they how did. much was Activision Activision Blizzard how much that was, was that was 67 point something so it's not out of the question then. Roblox as a company is more valuable than FedEx and Ferrari. That's insanity. <laughs> well, not a lot of kids are buying Ferrari cars, you know. No, they're building this them in true. Roblox. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, Jack, I guess uh to you finally, what's what's your take on the whole thing? So about Pokémon, <laughs> right? No. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, Bungie Oh, it. if they if Sony bought Waylord <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> Just imagine that They went through Like the whole Pokedex And they're just like Nintendo's like Look we're not for sale We'll let you buy One Pokemon In the Pokedex <laughs> And someone from Sony's like You know what Not Pikachu The one that's worth All the market value Waylord How about that We just went and bought Waylord Yeah And who became the, the only unofficial poke- Only Pokemon that's larger than the PS5. We became the unofficial official mascot for Sony. Every time Sony presented something, there was just a giant Waylord lurking in the background for no reason. Oh, I mean, that would be amazing. So Bungie, um, yeah, again, similar, I think, feedback to Garrett in that I I don't really play any of their games. I I, I dabbled with the first Destiny and I was like, oh, this is just one of these um, and not one of these that's really kind of keeping me in check and making me feel like any <sighs> anything at all really um so yeah i think pff, listening to you guys in the show last week it really it, you know all of the names and stuff that you were throwing out like it, none of that seems out of the question and i do just think this is the trend now that the entire video game industry is going to be monopolized by two companies and then nintendo's going to be off to one side you know sort of drinking a cocktail at a bathrobe going hey guys what's going on you keep <laughs> buying like, stuff that wake, sounds weird <laughs> waking up from a nap like oh what well, sorry what i miss <laughs> the the, yeah, the exactly. thing the the statement that really raised my eyebrows though was um where the, they said that our original universes have immense potential 
and that with Sony's support, we will propel Bungie into becoming a global multimedia entertainment company dedicated to delivering on our creative vision. So, like, are they thinking that, hey, we're going to get a, a television show based out of Destiny? Like, does Destiny have that kind of crossover appeal? I don't play Destiny enough or ever to know exactly what the fuck the story of Destiny is. I know um, Des- Destiny does have a but- lot of lore. It's a very lore-based game. There is yeah. a lot of lore, yeah, and I just don't care about yeah. any of it. I am hyped for Destiny 3. Knack is back. <laughs> but, you know, it seems <laughs> to be the go. rage. Like, Netflix and all of these, they're, they're getting content wherever they can, and, and video games, even to this point that we are, you know, seeing the, these games being made into TV shows, because we're getting to the point now where, like, there's actual there's an actual kind of critical reception to these and people are watching them and you know we, we are long past the days of uh Bowls alone in the dark um was that was that one of these i can't remember which fucking like uh yeah he did blood rain didn't he oh, he did yeah you know we're, yeah. we're long past those days now so you know i i do feel like video games is is a real just is a massive untapped market of potential for um original shows based off of these ips so you know i i think that more than anything else um or on top of clearly sony being like hey bungie can do this live service stuff let's get them um to kind of help with that because i was listening to i think it was next land i was listening to this week and they were talking about it and like look sony have the big single player campaign experience down you know they've got that with your god of wars your last of us whatever else they can do that but you think about the the big multiplayer experiences it's not really their forte like so uh microsoft you know that is their bread and butter going back to the original halo um and even like nintendo for as fucking weird as they are with their online stuff you know when i think about stuff that i've played as a multiplayer experience I've definitely played more stuff in the last five years on Nintendo with like Splatoon and Mario Kart than I have on Sony on a Sony game. So uh, it makes sense in in a number of aspects um, for them to make this purchase, other than just like, hey, they own Destiny. Oh, is Destiny going to be a, a a console exclusive? It, that is like the least fucking um, important thing out of this uh, acquisition. And yeah, it 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 does seem like we're going to get more. So. Um, place your bets you know yay baby i i didn't like when they were like we want to be a big multimedia company it's just like why can't a video game company just be a, a video game company because it's almost like they're money. ashamed to admit because what they the, are nothing is just um, a, this company now like netflix has to be a games company yeah. and microsoft has to be an everything company it's it's like you would people yeah. are like oh well monopolies always existed in industries but like it used to be like four big film studios made films four big game companies made games four big you know at least there used to be variety within industries now it's yeah. just like microsoft and sony and disney and apple yeah. Can I just say as well, it was very, it was very funny today. We you know we talked about Nintendo being the odd man out, seeing the translation of the the investor <laughs> questions for Nintendo, and they were asked about like NFTs, and just to sum up the answer, like Nintendo were like. Oh man, I, I do There was like this big handling <laughs> like, yesterday because an investor was like, oh, what do you think about NFTs and metaverse? And people thought it's like, oh, Nintendo are interested in NFTs. And it's like, yeah, the answer is like, they didn't mention F- NFTs at all. They just ignored the NFT part of the question. And it's like, you know, the metaverse seems like a cool idea, but we don't know how to make it fun. So we'll see in like 15 years when we eventually get around to a current trend. Yeah. They're still making games with characters they developed in the 80s. They don't give a shit for NFTs. Yeah. Um, right, next news story. Uh, Wordle's dead. 
uh, purchased by the New York Times. Um, so you know, yeah. I guess I, I don't I don't do Wordle, but I, I guess that was fun while you it lasted. Do I you don't do Wordle. Yeah, never done one. Fucking oh, any, any particular here. reason? No, no, just. Is it just because everyone's doing it and you're like, fuck everyone? No, it's not even this. a deliberately contrarian thing. It's just like, the first day it showed up, I was like, oh, what's this weird thing? Kind of searched around to see what it was. And I was kind of like, oh, that seems cool. I have no real interest Wordle in doing it, though. Wordle is today's jackasses five to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, cool. Everybody seems to be enjoying it. Like, in the right mood, maybe it would be something that would strike me. But I I have not felt the pull of, of getting into it yet. Yeah. Bit like me and Psychonauts oh. too, really, isn't it? Yeah, except correct in my case. <laughs> yeah, um, look, I'm I'm really happy for. Yeah, for shout Josh, out to him for getting paid like, at the peak of. Oh of yeah, the, the he gets he gets yeah. his money. Yeah, like anybody throwing any hate at him, I'm just like I don't get it because fucking earn your earn your coins, son. Um, yeah. But I guess like I also totally get at the same time just kind of a. Uh, a directionless kind of being bummed out at the inevitability that the New York Times will monetize and or somehow ruin this. Yeah, they even said it's free for now. Yeah, yeah, the for now was very foreboding. Yeah, you just think for fuck's sake. The the entire appeal of Wordle being like, it's this thing that has very little like demand of your time. It's a five minute a day thing. Come back tomorrow. No money, no ads, no nothing. And it's like, oh, we'll buy it for a low seven figure uh, amount and then make it behind a paywall. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, and then which I definitely feel like a low seven-figure amount. That feels like lowballing. Yeah, and like if it honest. doesn't work out, if if it crashes and burns for the New York Times, it's a negligible. Even for like the New York Times, which isn't a ginormous company, it's still a negligible amount of money for them. Yeah. Um, and more on that one. Are we? No, um, yeah. like you say, just happy for for Josh. Yeah, He's, like you know, because you know, uh, the the point being made as well is like the hosting fees he must have been going through to to yeah, have that true. thing must have been fucking ridiculous. And you know, like I imagine when he said it, like he made this thing for his girlfriend, and for it to blow up to the fact to the point that it has, there really is nothing else he could do at this point other than at some point you do you probably just do have to cash out or you just scrap the whole, close it and be done with it. Um, mm. But if someone's coming around offering you a low seven figure, you know, you, you unless you are resolute to a degree that I don't think anyone is, of course you're cashing out. Um, so, like, hey, this is one of those kind of times where there's a happy ending at the end of this. Um, so, you know, like, I guess we are done with Wordle for 2022. Um, but, you know, yeah. yeah, fair play, Josh. <laughs> it will rapidly fall out of the game of the year list probably now. <laughs> Um, right, uh, Mark, hell of a week to be Team 17. I, You know what? I feel like this is going to be the case every week for at least the next six months now where we come in here and say X Studio has announced that they're doing NFTs. Okay. Can, can, do you know what we should just do? Every time there's a big NFT, our, our, we can maybe agree on this. Every time there's a big NFT story, can we just say, instead of us talking about it again and saying NFTs are terrible environmentally unfriendly no matter what they say a massive fucking scam etc etc we just direct them towards that uh, folding ideas, ideas video, video yeah. which yeah. is Line goes up. if you're yeah. not a Dan Olson fan if you're not subscribed to his channel already this seems to be the one that's got him to the next level and got people subscribing I've been a huge fan of his back since he had an existential crisis talking about the editing of the original Suicide Squad movie uh, which is Laurie's video to, to look back on that um, is a very good video but yeah that was him yeah 
Uh, oh, see, his, I didn't make the connection in my brain to him and that his, guy. his channel has been incredible. For, yeah, because he used to not be in front of the camera. He used to just present the shows with a puppet. And yeah. I think I think it was around the time of the Suicide Squad video where he started appearing on camera. But uh, yeah, it's like a two-hour video that just like completely eviscerates the whole NFT thing and about the whole, you know, you're seeing companies and famous people really try to stress how important and cool it is. It's because they've invested an ass load of money and the arse is starting to fall out of this whole thing now. I think it was... Isn't it Ether is the main coin that a lot of NFT things are tied to? Yep. And Ether has lost forty percent of its value since the start of the year. Yeah. Um, they I mean I crypto I guess fluctuates up and down all the time. But the point is, unless you were in at the very, very ground level of all of this stuff <laughs> and cashed you, out very early doors. Yeah, or you've got a shitload of money to invest then the likelihood is the average person, this is completely out of their reach to ever make money from it. Can you make money from NFTs? Yes. Um, But do you need a huge initial investment to do that? And is that insanely speculative and super, super risky? And can you only make that money at Um, at the expense of other people losing out? Also, yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. My point, right? And can anyone pretty much at any time just figure out a way to get into your wallet and take all your shit anyway. Also, <laughs> yes. With limited to no recourse should that happen. Yeah, like there's no there's no legal implications in any yeah. of the stuff that seems to happen in this and kind can of someone steal your NFTs as easy as right click save image as? Yes they can. Yeah. Um, I mean I th- it's it's not about I don't you know, that's the one thing that I guess wasn't in that video. To me it's not it doesn't seem to be about the art at all. It no. just seems to be about the weird status thing. Did you guys see that really soulless clip from um, Jimmy Fallon where he was talking oh, God, about yeah. NFT? With, oh, yeah. That, yeah that's what I, I said. I was like, oh, well, if anything, this is really good news because Jimmy Fallon likes it now, so therefore it is becoming lame. So we just need yeah. James Corden to come in and finish it off. As soon as James Corden gets on the NFT bandwagon, it's fucking over, lads. I, n- I noticed yeah. Brie Larson you know how, jumped like, on the NFT train today with her NFT profile picture. Oh, uh, that's one of the re- uh, like. Sh- that's one of the ones that like. Um, every so often, there's somebody that embraces NFTs that massively disappoints you. <laughs> yeah, but, um, like when John John Terry does it. That's all you expect, but yeah. That's like, it. You, 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 you have an immediate reaction, then you go, you know what? That's a bit. I feel right. like the, the people who hated um, uh, Captain Marvel and the people who love NFTs are like a, a Venn diagram that's just a circle. So I, I wonder how they feel about yeah. this. They must be very conflicted. <laughs> it's a real culture war moment for them. I guess just anyone that buys into NFTs, there's like. The, the one thing I will say about the NFT community is that amongst Bro, each other dickheads. they're insanely supportive if you go on and look at any of the weird nft <laughs> ape kid stuff that john terry's posted everyone on there owns nfts and they're all like oh yeah we're we're all a gang we're like you know like they are it's, it is it is very suicide oh, I, I also well, think- gonna say it's it's very culty rather than community yeah. because what it is is it's a group of people bonded over the desperation of hoping they're right 
And I also yeah. think like ninety percent of those yeah, are bots say, as like, well. Like, to be fair, only about three hundred and sixty thousand people own NFTs. That's a, a very, 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 very small number of people. So when you think and you see all those people who are like, "Oh, I have an NFT and it's so great," it's like, "Yeah, you're probably just a bot, aren't you?" I guess so. But I so that was the one really tragic part of that video was the like, wasn't there? I can't remember what the acronym was, but like, we're all gonna get rich or something in letter form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That everyone always writes in all of the forums, and it's just sad to me because it's like, well, people who are absolute rubes have been duped out of their hard-earned ducats on this. And it's not the John Terry's and the Brie Lysons of the world who are going to walk away with no money. They probably will earn good money from this. It's people like, you know, everyday people. You know, the same sort of people that decided to buy a bunch of Beanie Babies or Pokemon cards or whatever and haven't really seen any return for their investment. Or the people speaking from a place of experience and bitterness, Jack. <laughs> Absolutely not, no. I um, I collected the first full set of Pokemon cards, but I, I did it just through buying packs. And I didn't yeah. even remember buying that many but um i think you know in um wolf of wall street when he starts selling penny stocks and he's like i'm just selling these to like regular lamos it's like really hard to convince you know business people to do this multi you know thousand pound deal every day on this but if i can dupe like somebody in nebraska out of like their two grand of inheritance from their nan um for a company that's probably never going to go anywhere then then that's how i earn my money and they seem like they're the people that are going to get affected by this and i know a lot of people have no sympathy whatsoever but i do feel just a little bit sorry for people that have been convinced this is the fucking next big thing and what what is scary as well um the uh, the Guardian Football podcast. They had Alex Hearn on, who's the the tech editor for, for the Guardian. Um, this was last week, I think. And basically, because you know NFTs and crypto and and like fan tokens are now becoming a thing in football, uh, they had him on because basically, like they were just saying, look, look, we are idiots. We don't know what this is. Please come and explain what they are. And you you're definitely seeing this um, thing where, as you kind of mentioned, like they're desperate to get like this whole scheme this whole system to as many people to get the money into the system as they can and you know we're seeing it now like and yeah. obviously football is a smart direction and smart place to go because a you know football clubs are going to be on it because they're going to try and find any way to make additional money that they can and because yeah. you reach a very large portion of in the uk specifically you know a very large audience um, of but, young, impressionable people with disposable income in a lot of cases. Yeah, and it is a case of, like, there is a very good chance that a lot of people could lose money, certainly at a time when people, like, your average household income can't afford to lose money. And, you know, mm. stuff like the fan tokens, I don't have as much of an issue with that. Uh, you know, like, the idea that, hey, I buy a selection of tokens and now I can have a little bit of input into how the club, not so much as run, you know, it's a lot of kind of surplus stuff, but, you know, it still gives some sort of value. But yeah, it's it's a worrying trend to see the uh, yeah. the kind of efforts that are being made to push that into like, the football market specifically. Uh, yeah, I think the whole thing can get fucked. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that includes Team 17. The whole thing can get fucked. Um uh, I, I gotta say, uh, the, before we finally get to the Team 17 part, the two things that uh, firstly elated me and then the other one made me groan. Um, 
Kanye putting out the thing is like fuck off I'm not doing an NFT which is a real like that onion the worst person you know made a great point uh, thing because like the takes he's had in the past and he comes out with this like absolutely spot on take on NFTs for now and the other thing insanely grim CNN are doing <laughs> NFTs do you know what I thought you were going to do is Kanye said fuck off I'm not doing an NFT and then immediately you turned did the complete opposite of Team 17 and started making yeah. NFTs so, right so every time we talk about NFTs do we just end up by going line goes up yeah 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 um so to get to this news story, uh, Team 17, they announced that they were going to do environmentally friendly Worms NFTs. Um, again, as Dan Olson points out in this video, um, anybody saying that they're making environmentally friendly NFTs, it's a lie. Um, there, There is the rare case of stuff that is, you know, slightly less environmentally damaging, but on the whole... One, they are environmentally damaging and it all contributes to this bubble that is on the whole environmentally damaging. And two, even when you're talking about uh, whether it's environmentally damaging or not, uh, you're kind of missing this the other part of it where it's it's still I, a scam. I, I love that about it though. I love that they're like, oh, we've cracked it. We're, we were going to do environmentally friendly NFTs. Everyone will love that. And everyone's like, no, no, we hate this for many reasons now, not just the killing the planet bit. That was just one of them, yeah. So they announced that uh, everybody went fucking spare at them and they shit themselves and backtracked. Because by all accounts, many of the studios they worked with also went apeshit at them, so... You, yeah. you know you're in the space where the worm is starting to turn for some of these companies when now... Pun intended. Yeah, where uh, I've noticed, you know, the last week or 10 days that there's a couple of, like, mid-sized companies that are like, an easy PR boost is for us to release a statement saying we're yeah, not going to do the, that. I love seeing the like, at our game has no microtransactions, and everyone's like, yeah! Yep, that's... Yeah. That is going to be the easy pop at, uh, like, you know, an E3 or whatever is, like, no NFTs, no crypto. I, I just love seeing, like, the Overcooked 2 <laughs> Twitter account saying, yeah, we're not doing NFTs. Have you seen the one? Um, have you seen somebody dug up uh, the footage from, the, I think, the first Devolver Direct thing? Uh, with Nina Struthers and they do a whole bit about inventing a devolver coin that's a scam it's like it's so like it was three or four years ago now at this stage and it's so like specifically lays out exactly what happened Amazing. with blockchain shit in games uh, yeah incredible um, but yeah more, more of this 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 is good like um a good example of the the power of the consumer basically uh company tries to get away with shit entire gamer base just goes fuck no you're not and they go oh shit <laughs> and instead of like just soldiering on with it they they're like they're, they're the sixth or seventh or tenth company to do this now how do they not learn how did they not see it's like well yeah. this has happened for like yeah. seven other companies why are we still doing this yeah, I mean, because, bigger because companies Garrett. have tried and and like at least slowed their role. Like you know, we we only just uh, in Game of the Year talked about like Ubisoft Quartz and things like that, uh, where like bigger companies than Team Seventeen have found themselves getting in the fucking weeds with their uh, with their con- customers over this kind of shit. But the, Be- there's like because because, because mm-hmm. Garrett, right? 
here's the thing, is that at the top of every one of these companies, there's usually a rich dickhead. That rich dickhead wants to make themselves an even richer dickhead. And then all of the same people around them are either A, too scared to challenge opinions of said rich dickhead, or B, they do challenge opinions of direction of said rich dickhead, and then are shut down because rich dickhead has the final say. Or C, they they are also rich dickheads. Do, do you know what's funny is like Garrett you had a tweet earlier on this evening about um, evil incompetent people that no matter how like cynical they are or how dumb they are they just keep getting away with shit and I was just like literally any executive in any of my pastimes <laughs> this this could apply to football this could apply to wrestling and this could adv- uh, apply to video game executives it's such a like an all purpose true statement that Guys, I'm starting to think that capitalism is not it's great. almost like it also applies to most of our universal. political leaders as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People with money and power not to be trusted. It's almost reassuring whenever Weird. you come across these situations in your life. It's just like, at least everything is like this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, at least every industry is like. Yeah, you know, fucked. at least it's not like uh, it's not you. You know, it's not like uh, oh, if only I was here, it would be better. It's like no, it's 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 just like this everywhere. Yeah. So uh, to sum up the story. Well, I was going to say there's on. there's two specific scenarios that keep happening with these announcements that game companies are making. Either they say, "Hey, we're getting into this space," and then everyone says, "No, the fuck, you're not," and then they go, "Oh, I guess we're not." Or we have what happened with Worms here, where they announce, like, what they're actually going to do, but it's, like, the most threadbare, barely fucking put-together package. Pinky toe in the water. Yeah. You know, so, like, they announced, um, uh, there's a, they got a coin for planet, which is, like, this whole thing where, um, proceeds from their NFTs will go towards worm beds to process food waste. So they're not really environmentally friendly, it's just carbon offsetting, which is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like, the actual images of the, the NFTs themselves look like shit. Uh, there's a website called metaworms.live, which currently shows a rotating 3D worm covered in glitter. There is a, a MetaWorms Discord with a project roadmap, uh, which includes a post saying, do a roadmap, uh, other channels such as NFT discussion, speculation, and shilling channel, which are currently empty. So this is a five-minute put-together thing that has been thrown out there. I, 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 you know, I... I feel like a lot of these video game companies uh, that just like in spite of all the like very easily researchable things that are out there about how bad and what a speculative economy this stuff is. The ones that just like try to stick the head down and soldier ahead all remind me of that clip of that guy, that LBC host who tried to insist that concrete grows on trees and that wood isn't sustainable. That's very much what I'm reminded of. So uh, let's just, before we get into our final news story, I will just sum up this and uh, future NFC stories like this. Um, Big bunch of cunts get fucked. Line goes up. Yeah, line goes up. Um, Right, finally, and I know this last news story, I'm glad you're all sitting down, gents, because this one will come as a gallop and fucking shock to you, I know. The day we recorded this podcast, Rockstar confirmed that they're going to make another game in the fairly popular Grand Theft Auto series. Shut right. the front door. I know. I know. It's weird. Like Kevin Nash. Nine years, just about nine years. It'll be nine years this September since GTA 5 came out. 
And I think, like, you know, the whispers have been out there for a long time. GTA 6 is in active development. And the way that they basically came out and said it in their newsletter today and said to get subscribed to the newsletter for, um, you know, news as it comes out. Uh, I was just reading a Jason Schreier tweet about this. He goes, like, he'd put his money on this game is going to get announced this year. They're going to say fall 2023 and then it will slip to 2024. So you're talking... And it has... It does follow the pattern of big games from Rockstar is like when they finally admit these games exist, you're talking 18 months to two years from when they think it will come out. Yeah. What I what I appreciate about this is how like just innocuous this statement came in uh you know a fairly kind of just bland blog post about hey you know like gta 5 it's coming to series s and ps5 and we're doing some updates to uh to gta online and then just kind of thrown away at the at the bottom there is like oh yeah by the way there yeah there, there is a grand theft auto game coming um i do appreciate how low-key they were about it because yeah it is rockstar they don't really have to do anything to get the press that they are at that privileged position where they can just have a throwaway blog post like this um and it will do the rounds and yeah like it's definitely going to be a, a fair amount of time before we see it and honestly let's be honest they are in no rush to get gta 6 out anytime soon uh between gta online still making all the money and these uh next gen versions of gta 5 which you know, you think how anyone is still buying that fucking game, but people are still buying that game. Um, and also, I put Mario Kart 8 in that list as well of like, how are there still people that need to buy this game again? Or Well, you see, there general. are 45 million copies of Mario Kart 8 sold and 103 million Switches. So that's another like 60 million that copies of Mario point. Kart 8 they have to sell. That is that is true. I guess I had not considered that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. By the way, is there a Switch selling over I'm selling the copies. Wii and the PS1. Yeah, but I mean, I could outsell the Wii. I said Wii, Wii, regular Wii. Oh, the Wii. Sorry, yes, sorry. Wii, Wii. No, I sorry, I got that confused Wii, with the story Wii, that the PS. Wii. I got that confused with the story. The PS Five in one year has already outsold the Wii U, which felt just like that's that's a harsh dig at the Wii U. It didn't no, deserve don't. that. <laughs> outsold the fucking Ouya as well while we're at it. Like, yeah, um, but yeah, there's a GTA game coming. Like. All right, I like that cool. they've announced it. Like video video game companies are just so weirdly secret. Like when Knives Out was not two was commissioned, like the second that movie was commissioned, it's like oh yeah, Ryan Johnson's making a Knives Out too. You know, no one's been secretive about it. It's not even started filming, but it's just like this thing is happening. It'll have you can see it in three years. Whereas here, it's that's because they were trying to pop one man and one man alone, <laughs> and that man is Dave Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Though so sure. I because I, there are different ways to it. Like I do appreciate Nintendo. Nintendo have taken this Radiohead approach of like just shadow dropping stuff. <laughs> you know? They really have. They're like, oh yeah, in rainbows, by the way, go and buy it. Fucking... Oh my god. I'm not wrong. They might as well just make Mario's eye wonky. Go full Tom York. I'm not wrong, alright, when I make that statement. But Nintendo have done a whole bunch of that over the last couple of years. With like, oh, there's like this switch port of this game. By the way, it's out now, go buy it. You know? And I do go and buy it. It's very effective. If, if only they adopted the Radiohead pay whatever the fuck you want price That model. would also be quite nice, yeah. Um, Rather than charging full price to their game like six, seven years yeah. after it comes out. But I also, I do agree with Garrett as well. Like, um, you know, and I, I don't know because like, are, are Rockstar, are they a publicly traded company? Uh, Take-Two are, so... 
I'll yeah, take two. Because yeah. you know, like sometimes I wonder if these announcements come along just because you know it helps investor conferences quarter uh, hits. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, I mean, I'd say they're definitely not mad uh, about these announcements coming, but I also always get the impression with a lot of what they do that Rockstar moved to the beat of their own drum, um, and that take two know that like this thing could drop at four a.m. on a Thursday. And it's still going to sell, like, a gajillion copies. So they're kind of just happy to, yeah, Rockstar, you do things on your own, on your own time scale, yeah. and we'll be quite happy with whatever comes out. Because um, again, like we mentioned earlier in this program, people are still buying fucking GTA Five nine years later, like that move, and like you know, that's before you even get into how much money GTA Online is is raking in for them. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens with GTA Online. Um, do they try to migrate everybody over to six and shut down the online for five? Do they? They tried in- that with Red Dead Two, didn't they? And it yeah. failed. So it will be interesting to see what their approach is because, like, obviously, unless you put it on the same map, any uh, as GTA Five, any GTA Six online mode is going to be different yeah because also, be I'm, different I'm quite setting. glad that like, gta 6 has missed trump i shouldn't tempt fate because 2024 could still change things but like i i i don't yeah. think i'd want a grand theft auto game released during trump's era because they they wouldn't be able to help themselves like they, they, that's absolutely the kind of game they'd have yeah. to end up making and i'm, I'm kind of glad that their particular yeah. brand of political satire will miss that era in history i mean they could still do yeah. it they could yeah. still do it Houses are gone from the company, though, so the, I think that kind of that yeah. humor direction will probably. It'll be interesting, change, yeah, because like, what does this game look like without the Housers, without the the legacy of Grand Theft yeah. Auto? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Yeah, I'm actually, it's going to be a pay to earn game. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> it's a, it's a MOBA. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pay to earn MOBA. Yeah, it'll be a photography With game. With NFTs laced. You into heard it here first. Breaking news on Link to the Cast. Uh, Right, okay. That just about covers it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, At Link to the Cast is where you need to go on Twitter to follow us, keep up to date with the shows, uh, chat with us on there, ask some questions. We're always happy to answer any listener questions on the show. Uh, Individually, uh, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell. Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Um, We shall speak to you all again next week. Stay safe. Bye-bye. 